Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana harrington joining you from lovely St. Paul, Minnesota, Joined by my north, by northeast, by my other co-host, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston III. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Um, I've lost an hour of sleep to daylight savings time again, but uh, I'm alive and I'm all right. How are you? But you're Mr. Digital, though, so I feel like daylight savings time shouldn't have any effect on you because it's it all the clocks change automatically. And but it's not it's not an issue of changing the clocks; it's an issue of losing an hour of sleep. But you don't set an alarm. On uh, when we do these shows, <laughs> I don't. Uh, but I still feel like the pressure of like, oh man, am I, am I up early enough? I don't know. Uh, oh, he's probably waiting for me. Jeez, oh, yes, yeah. You got you. I can't imagine if Barrios was your boss and he's looking at all your uh, performance metrics every day, and you're thinking, I could be more productive every day here. I am under. I am not super serving my boss. No, I would never survive in corporate America. That is for sure. <laughs> um. We have an exciting show coming up here. We're going to talk a little bit about George Berrios, what he said at his Deutsche Bank conference, which uh, even though I even put it out to everybody, I was like, hey, guys, you want a free article? Just Mm -hmm. listen to this. I'll tell you when to start, what to do. I don't think anyone took me up on that offer. Uh, We're going to talk about the the greatest Royal Rumble of all time that's coming up. We'll talk about the DEF-14A document that you and I had been telling everyone to expect, and then it showed up even a couple days earlier than we expected. And then we'll talk about some uh, um, wrestling show announcements that uh, I think are of value, of worth, and of interest to us. But what's even more exciting is to know that, of course, this episode is brought to you by Keeps. Keeps is the best way to keep your hair, and it is an affordable uh, uh, solution that we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show here. But if you are interested in more information, you can always go to keeps.com slash WE, and that will give you credit for not only the awesome uh, introductory program they have, but the fact that WrestleNomics Radio will get some credit for the fact that you heard about them through WrestleNomics Radio. We also have a Patreon 
Brandon, if people tune into the Patreon this week, if they get that bonus audio, which only costs $5 a month, and we want to thank some of our new sponsors here, uh, including Jesse and uh, also including one of our sponsors who uh, last week heard what you said, oh. which said we had to get new sponsors or you wouldn't review Bloodsport. But mm-hmm. uh, we got, in fact, a new sponsor mm-hmm. just for the fact that we would do that. So, Mr. Scott Hunt, thank you very much. Yeah. I have for, copious uh, notes uh, ready on Bloodsport. Oh, I'm so excited. And so yeah. people will get your Bloodsport review, a movie you had never, ever seen before, right? Um, well, I don't know if we want to get into it now, but I'm sure I saw oh. parts of it when I was a small child. But it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but it, it something that Brandon was seeing for with adult eyes for the first time yeah. for sure, yeah. and uh, we'll be talking about what else on the Patreon show. Uh, we will be talking about a Bloomberg article talking about UFC's TV rights. Uh, we will be talking about television homes for the USA Network and for ESPN, and some clustering algorithms for U.S. homes. Uh, was this U.S. homes or U.S. cities that W runs in? I think right. I think U.S. cities would be a better way of putting it. But, yes, I think right now what we can say is the cell is the blood sport review mm-hmm. and everything else is just the the gravy, the parsley and the parsnips that uh, go alongside it. So uh, if if this was a CSA box, you would be – let's see. What, what vegetable would you be as a vegan? What's your favorite vegetable? Uh, I don't know. I don't really have favorite foods. This is always an issue for me in conversations. Like I, I just view food as like fuel. It's not – um, I don't know. I like peanut butter. I haven't eaten a lot of peanut butter lately. That's not a vegetable, though, is it? <laughs> well, it's, it is a legume that has been processed, so I don't think that will count. I don't think you're going to get a CSA with peanut butter inside of it. Now, here's an interesting discussion. Is, is it a, a peanut a vegetable? I mean, it grows, it grows in the ground. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a legume, I believe. Right. But is that is a, is a legume not a vegetable? It's, well, they call it a ground nut in uh, some countries of the world, Yeah, but like, is well, why, what they call peanuts. But why can't I just categorize it as a vegetable? It is a groundnut. It is a goober. It is taxonomically classified as a word I cannot say, and it is a legume crop for its edible seeds. I see. Uh, I eat a lot of broccoli too. If we, if we want broccoli. Okay, question. so we'll say that the Bloodsport review is the broccoli, and everything else that we're going to talk about the show is the kohlrabi that they threw in there uh, just because they wanted to make the box seem full. Yeah. Now the, 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 uh, the Bloodsport review is like the the uh, the vegan protein powder, and uh, and everything else is the. Uh, the ground flaxseed and nutritional yeast. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad we were able to translate that for our, our viewers of, of various uh, interests and, and, and edible uh, interests. Gastronomic uh, preferences. Yes, that's the right way to put it. Uh, I've been having a hell of a couple weeks here. Um, yesterday, we uh, we had the endorsing convention for my wife's campaign, oh, yeah. and uh, she was not endorsed, uh, which was not unexpected. She was running as, as against an incumbent, and so she she ran an excellent campaign. It was very exciting, and in the end, the incumbent was endorsed, but uh, had some very nice things to say about the whole time, and she really got her name out there and got a lot of visibility and exposure to a lot of people, and so we're really excited to have you know kind of been involved with this and to say also that you know we're not going away she's not going away she's going to remain active in the community and and advocating for all the things that we can be doing to make this area better so i just wanted i know i've been giving kind of sporadic updates about what we've been going on with and so i just wanted to say where the political thing landed yesterday because up until yesterday so a big question mark of how it would go but so it went all the way to a ballot after an hour of speeches they had to do 10 minute speeches and 30 minutes of q a so it was uh, it was pretty exciting. So, so I've never been to a cocket for... endorsement uh, Senate district event. 
So this was for like the we had like the state assembly in New York. Yeah, it's the state house is what it would be for. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So it was a cool event. So it was a cool time, and uh, she did wonderful. My wife is is a is a very very smart, well spoken person. So she has a lot of great experience and and opportunity here to share it with the community. So it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So let's get into uh, you. Did you wrestle this week? No, I didn't wrestle this week. I uh, no. No, no wrestling this week. I think next week do I have wrestling? Uh, I don't think I do it next week either. But the week after that, I'm doing a, a Friday or doing a Saturday where I'm going to wrestle twice in uh, in North Tonawanda here in my home, and then in Fort Erie just over the border. Yeah, that's next week. Oh no, this 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 upcoming week I might go to to St. Catharines. But no, I haven't been doing anything interesting other than losing an hour of sleep to daylight savings time. <laughs> well, you know, George has been doing a lot of interesting things because we're in that it, it's kind of this January to March, just almost through May sometimes, where George does all these investor conferences. And of course, with this year, with the um, the domestic TV rights renewal coming up and the announcement, I think he said is something like May to September might be the period that he's kind of given as a uh, timeline. Yeah, that's what's and in so, the slide, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what's in the slide. And so he performed – as I would like to say, he he uh, he guested at this uh, conference, a conference he spoke at many times. In fact, the 26th annual Media Telecom Business Services Conference uh, for Deutsche Bank, and uh, he used a version of the investor deck, but it's not the exact same version of the investor deck because he used some 2017 uh, full year numbers that I know were different than the the version that's in that January deck. Mm-hmm. So I did in fact email WWE and said, "Hey, no. are you going to put up the updated version of this deck? Because you know yeah. I don't feel like you're, you know I I." I think it's fair to ask if, if yeah. you know, he's presenting this to investors, but he's not publicly showing this to everyone else. That's not fair. You want to make sure it's the same information everyone's looking at. And is and, it like uh, an aggregate version of – like have – are they slides from previous versions? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just saying he the, – the, the version that is up right now is from January before 2017 numbers were finalized. And so there's some numbers in here. About, you know, what do we think 2017 is going to be? And then if you look, it will actually say, oh, this is actually through September of 2017, 12 months trailing, or Mm -hmm. this is an estimate for the year. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see that. Plus, I want to actually do the compare and contrast and say, is there anything that they changed in this deck from January to March about, you know, what numbers they're saying or or estimates that they have or the fact that they're going to change how they report their data going forward and did they start to do that and that's why these conferences are so interesting because i talk a lot about the business partner summit and um you know it spends hours and hours and hours kind of trying to transcribe that sometimes but this gives you the insight to okay we're getting really close to the business partner summit and he's starting to work on some of those catchphrases and those lines that we're going to hear at the business partner summit and you can start to get a feel for what is going to be WWE's new narrative for the year when they're trying to sell to people. Do you feel and, like the Business Partner Summit is the the it's like the WrestleMania for WWE business? Is it is it is that where they really roll out big narratives for the first time? Is that what you're saying? I feel like it because a it's long. You know, it's it's a two hour one an hour, one and a half hour thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very long time where they're talking, unlike all these things where it's going to be 30 minutes, 20 minutes is going to be George rushing through a presentation Mm -hmm. and 10 minutes is going to be Q and a, that could be about whatever, Mm -hmm. usually whatever the investor is, is kind of fixated on. Um, This is the only time when they say, okay, let's talk about action figures for a while. Let's talk about films for a while. Let's talk about our digital studio for a while. Let's talk about our charity work for a while. And so I feel like, the Business Partner Summit is really nice in that way 
in that you you a hear from executives you never hear from. You know, Ed Wells presented at last year's um, thing. He was the head of international at the time. Uh, and it's like that. That's the only time I can ever remember Ed Wells talking at one of these things. He He's quoted occasionally in press releases, but he doesn't talk, you know, at these conferences very much. Um, we also see, you know, wh- what they're selling in terms of when they, they, they of course, they have their partners of the year. And that's kind of funny to see who they want to kind of call out as their big partners for the year and their partnerships for the year. Um, it's interesting to see what WWE superstars they use. You know, last year, of course, I think it was New Day dancing and doing stuff. A couple of years ago, it was DX, you know, came out at the other event, not at the Business Partner Summit. And they, but they brought the, out all the uh, the women's champions, too. Yes, they did at the end. They all had to be in their gear, Yeah, if I recall. And I thought, oh, God, just, just you know, it's just weird sometimes when Asuka's in gear <laughs> on a stage and you're just well, like, well, wow. New Day was in gear, too, weren't they? Yes, they were. They were. Uh, so, yes, there was that big thing. There was the year that Scooby-Doo won a belt and with Warner Brothers. That was one of my favorites where it's just, you know, it's all these people in Scooby-Doo in the middle of it holding a belt. Mm-hmm. Um, Cena always comes out like Cena is actually the funniest because Cena always comes out and he's always, as he says, dressed head to toe for the sponsors mm-hmm. in the 57 different colored things that he does. Uh, but no, it's it's a great thing. But this this conference was interesting, I thought, Um talking about what george did because the first 20 minutes if you look at that investor deck you can kind of follow along because almost everything he's saying is from that investor deck where he's you know literally he has a slide here it's slide number um in the old investor deck it's slide number 11 where he talks about wwe has created heroes in the ring for more than five decades starting with bruno sammartino and going to andre the giant in the the 70s and then you have stone cold steve austin and the rock and now all the way to charlotte flair and so it's a funny slide because, A, you can tell that they kind of cut the Hulkamania era out because <laughs> they don't want to talk about that right now. And, B, it's just funny because it's one of these slides where, you know, you have George Barrios talking about wrestling and wrestling history. And it's it's interesting to hear the verbiage that he's kind of settled on for talking about San Martino or Andre the Giant. And then, of course, it's a chance to plug that Andre the Giant has this new HBO uh, thing coming out. I think April 10th is what I finally figured out is going to be when they're going to release it. Um, the Bill Simmons uh, documentary. Right. I think that I, I saw that earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that when it comes out. But um, just so th- there's that element. But so George flies through all this stuff here and he's really big into the Joseph Campbell monomyth, which was a, a storyline that kind of erupted, I think, last year was when we really saw them start using that a lot about the, you know, wrestling is just like Luke Skywalker and Katniss Everdeen. Mm-hmm. Um and then, of course, it's the different content on different platforms argument for him about why he doesn't want the same stuff everywhere. And then half the broadband homes in the world have a WWE fan. Again, one of those like really, you know, this is such nitpicky things. But I noticed <laughs> I, I don't know whether to be proud or ashamed the fact that I noticed this stuff. But like on slide number 23. It says WWE network potential is driven by WWE's global scale. 311 million broadband homes, 159 million WWE fan homes in the top 16 global markets. I swear he said 15 in this presentation. So it's it's those sort of like little things where you're like, oh, they must have decided one of these markets was not the market they wanted to include anymore or something. But who knows? It's, you know, it's those nitpicky things. So key key content distribution, the long tail opportunity. We have 10 million user accounts, our ability to use data to transform how we look at things for, you know, the 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 clustering, as we'll talk about in on the patron thing. It's this basically what WWE does is clustering. They take 
um, your uh, what sort of things do you buy, what your network consumption is, your past payment behavior, uh, your email engagement, any third-party data they've been able to connect to you and any streaming things that you're doing. And then they take that and then they cluster those accounts into then try to come up with ways of saying this kind of fan is our super engaged fan who would probably be really good for the tiered version of the network. And this kind of fan is a lapsed fan who only likes old content. So every time we do a new content release, we should make sure we hit them, you know, that sort of thing. And that's me putting names to it. And in reality, they don't – the clustering doesn't work that way. The clustering works this way to say this person is paid on time and uses a visa and, and watches um, – within the 25th percentile of hours of footage. And then from that, you either try to figure out what that means and say, here's the groups I want to uh, track with that clustering, or you just start saying, oh, I noticed that this group here tends to do a lot of this. And then you kind of try to come up with some conclusion about what that means for your business. kind of matters whether or not you're doing kind of a, a, a machine algorithm where you yourself are kind of trying to determine what it means, or you're letting it kind of make its own groups and then trying to figure out from those groups what does that mean. Mm-hmm. So all of that is to say that's not the interesting part of George's talk. <laughs> the interesting part of George's talk was the Q&A that happened in the last uh, about 15 minutes, I want to say. Um, maybe even just the last 10 minutes. Uh, started at the 2130 mark. And um, do you want to do you want to kind of walk us through what you heard? You said you listened to it more than once. Um, so the, yeah. kind of the first question here was, where are the current levels of sports rights in the U.S.? Given the metrics you put up for the popularity of the sport, it seems like it could be bigger. What are the prospects for really accelerating, and why haven't we seen more of that in the past? So before I even get that answer, uh, <laughs> good job. Good job on that guy, yeah. right? That is a great – that's exactly the question everyone should be asking WWE over and over and over again is if you are the number one YouTube channel and the num- you have this much ratings power and this many people and this long history, why do you get paid so little? Right. And what did he say about that? And do you want me to read it verbatim? Um, well, or or if you you remember what what the the uh, idea behind it was, I don't know. It, lo- it looks like he just uh, sort of put out a sales pitch for why you know they might do better next time, and did not answer the the question. I think part of the interesting question that 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 questioner is getting at is that you know, well, why hasn't uh, W been had better TV rights compared to other sports properties? And uh, you know, I think part of it. Part of it really is because pro wrestling is is a work, and there's uh, I don't know a cultural perception about it attached to it, just in, inherent to to that quality. And then I think a, another part of it is the regularity that with which WWE insults the intelligence of its fans. And I think another part of it is the sort of sense of humor that Vince McMahon has, and that he put, puts on his on his TV show. So I think that there's all of those factors at play there, and I think that's what's really happening. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's true. I think some of it is that he he said, "quote In the United States, our core content has under monetized relative to others. If you believe ratings are the right metric, and and, and I'm curious, like the, all those things that I just said, I'm I'm sure Barrios, what, what what's the terminology that he used uh, that we I think we talked about last time is that he. Uh, there's a cognitive bias, he said. Yes, I was going to say in the last one is where I felt like he actually got a little bit deeper into kind of saying, I feel like we don't get our fair shake yeah. uh, because people just don't don't think of us. And part of it is, you know, their branding, their message has changed because they, they've chased the money a few times here where when it's live sports, they want to be live sports when it's not li- when, you know, when they think they can dominate some other calculations calculation then it becomes the longest running sports entertainment weekly episodic television show right right 
and and so it's like they they change the the um the marker every time so that they can try to dominate it because they don't and, know what they are and 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 in in fairness I don't I don't think I know what they are. oh god <laughs> <laughs> oh geez what did did your did the little man that lives inside your fridge finally bust out I said a massive spill it's all over my VCR. Oh my gosh! I I I I fear that perhaps your Betamax collection will be destroyed, and you will be, in fact, a uh, unable to find out who shot J.R. Ewing. This is a uh, so like all the, um, the 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 classic shake that I that I tell you about. It's uh, it's all over the uh, the VCR now. I don't know what's going to happen now, but but anyway. Um, <laughs> Want to take a break to clean it up? <laughs> well, well, let's let's see if we can keep going here. Uh, okay, but, the, the, but yes, I think I think they don't know. I think they 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 jump about. I think at times that's why they've hired you know a sports marketing firm to help them on other countries of the world. That's why George kept saying, "Well, you see a ring, people know what happens in a ring. You don't have to explain it to them." That's why our content is great for overseas. Yeah, but the, but the, the, you, the point you, I was going to make though earlier is that so I, I don't know that George. I think he knows that there's a cognitive bias. He, he talks about it, right? But I don't think that he even understands or maybe doesn't agree that. Uh, there's quite a bit that WWE willfully does to keep itself uh, in, a, in a place where it can't get it as, as attractive TV rights fees as it would like. I, and I, I have a hard time knowing about what is it about – are they willfully keeping themselves there? I know that's the, the, the perception of fans. But A, the money makers themselves are very different than the fans in terms of what is it that's driving them. So some of it is just how do they interact with the different networks and the different people? Because there's times when Vince seems like, oh, I love partnering with USA Network. I love working with these people and they've helped me develop this programming and bring, bring us ahead. And there's other times where you know Vince gives an interview and he says they, they presented me with this TV rights, this um, you know kind of a domestic – carriage fee channel idea and i ripped up the deal because i didn't want to do it and you know times where sky felt like it was being double crossed or usa felt it was being double crossed as they launched the network you know and so there's times that they've shot themselves in the foot and i'd argue that has nothing to do with wwe being a a insulting or not insulting to its fans i'd say that's more about the corporate culture and the interaction between the decision makers and whatnot we saw it with tna right tna uh, shot itself in the foot because they refused to sever ties with Vince Russo and they lied to Spike TV about it. And it's like it doesn't matter whether or not you're good programming or bad programming. If corporately you've offended someone or corporately you're difficult to deal with, a lot of times people will just say to hell with it. The other piece is advertising rates, right? And I think this is the biggest misconception in in um, wrestling is that one of the reasons wrestling gets low ad rates is because people do not pay good advertising dollars to advertise on wrestling programming. And it's improved. It is getting better. I think we would all agree that the ads have improved a lot. And even George said, go watch a show from four years ago and today and you would see a difference. But I think the reason why the ads have had to improve is because they've been put at an artificially low place. And they would be lower than most sports anyway i think but they're at an even lower place i think because of yeah and and you could argue it creates a ceiling too same with ufc ufc's you know ufc gets better ad rates than wwe um from everything we can tell but i do think that when ufc's out there trying to get you know 400 million there is an argument to be made that maybe they wouldn't be able to get the ad rates to support that amount of money um because ufc is as popular as it has grown still is divisive for many groups you know there's a lot of people that don't like watching cage fighting 
you know, and so same with wrestling. It, there's a lot of people that don't like watching wrestling. And so you can try and blend it together into other things. But ultimately, I do feel like sometimes you have to sell the bill of goods of what you create. You can't continue to, to sell other things. And that's why I think something like WWE Studios fails so much is because it's so unclear what is the connection between putting a wrestling star in a movie or helping low budget films get a little bit of financing, you know, uh, especially when it's it's inconsistent where, you know, a guy like Luke Harper can go out and do Mohawk and has nothing to do with the WWE system. But that's a good example of a wrestler doing a movie and you would have thought there'd be a connection there, but there isn't. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the, the issue with W Studios is more about the content, right? Like what what's the good uh, W Studios movie that, that they put out that everybody liked? You know, I, I don't know what it is. I know they do cer- certain things like the Scooby-Doo thing and didn't they, didn't they do a Jetsons one? But anyway, they're trying to do stuff that's targeted towards kids, right? They did, and even that seems like it, it's the return on that is is vastly shrunk based even where it was a few years ago. So that's, again, why the business partners like, this, are this so exciting to me is to, to me. hear like, them say it. Why, why didn't people buy the WWE Studios movies? Because you put on a main event that people didn't want to pay to see. That's it. Yep, yep. Nope, I'm with you. So I just always think that the, the the easier answer that someone should get to is what are your ad rates, What what's happening with them? And that came out of the other Q&A uh, from last week where basically someone did say, you get low ad rates. And then they kind of pled ignorant saying, oh, that's USA. You'd have to talk to them. We don't really know. But it's got better. Um, they say, could we see broadcasters actively interested in the rights or will be predominantly a cable property? What do you think he's really asking with that? Yeah, well, let's let's pause right there because this this is uh, splattered all over the, the, the wall. Here. <laughs> it's quite a mess. All right. Yeah. Just, just, I didn't want to stop right in the middle of a question, and then it's going to be tricky. <sighs> so that, that'll be a little bit easier for me to edit. Let me, let me take like one minute here. Hopefully I can yeah. uh, Go ahead. address this situation. All right. I think I'm all right now. I'm going to have to give it a once-over again later, but uh, <laughs> quite, right. quite a scene that just went down here. It looks like uh, I, had, I had to change my clothes. I had to... <laughs> I don't know. I had to vacuum. I had to wipe things down. It looks like somebody just threw up all over my wall or something, but uh, I'm, I'm doing better, and I think I'm ready again. You know, most people, when they say they have protein residue all over their VCR, it's very different. Yeah, I, I, I won't tell Dave Meltzer about this. I almost destroyed a piece of a traditional media, but uh, I don't know if this VCR is going to work anymore, but we'll see. i got to let it dry out first. Oh, my Lord. Okay. You ready to go? I'm, I'm ready. I thought we were recording already, but okay. We, we are. We are recording. Oh, Lord. So um, minute 24, George Berrios. Yeah. He said, can we see broadcasters actively interested in rights, or will it be predominantly a cable property? What do you think he's inferring there? What is he trying to get them to say? Uh, well, he's talking about Fox and whether – Yes, WWE yes. He's just trying to get – he's basically just trying to get them to admit whether or not Fox is bidding for them. Yeah. And and basically he – George's response is, is a smart one. He basically says distribution is more at risk than ever – than it has been for a network. Um, it's always been at risk. But practically speaking today with the skinny bundles, viewership is incredibly important. Our numbers are out there. So he, he's basically trying to say USA Network won't be as relevant if it doesn't have wrestling on it. 
and that we can bring relevancy to something else, say a Fox Sports one, if we come along. And then at the same time, yes, even broadcasters care about that because it helps them both uh, generating distribution revenue and ad revenue. And we're an attractive property in that environment. We'll announce something between May and September. So I I think um, last week I kind of had a real heart change, sea change, uh, brain change about my thought about Fox. And it was because if George's three big platforms are, again, number one, as he said, deepening our relationship with existing fans, two, finding new fans, and three, monetizing it, to which I would almost think, I hope that's UFC's plan too. You know, they have the same team negotiating this with Aria Emmanuel Mm -hmm. at WME and all that. But um, essentially, I don't know if you can get much more out of USA today. I do think that going to a broadcaster like a Fox is a much better way to find a new audience. And so uh, I think if the money is there and then at the same time, I think USA is capped by they kind of already know how much ad revenue they can get out of wrestling. And they're capped by how much they want to bid unless they're going to use it as a loss leader. And then at the same time, Fox doesn't know how much money they're going to get out of wrestling. So Fox has a little bit more leeway to kind of, you know, shoot for the moon and hope they get there. Yeah, and, and Fox um, has a bigger audience than the USA Network. And there's, I think in, in, in the prospect of W going to Fox, there's like, you know, there's a black box of like, well, what if we were on Fox? Could we be even bigger? Right. Yeah. And, and even FS1, FS2, you could argue that it would help their distribution because if you're a, a mid-tier cable system – and you're trying to decide whether it's worth paying for that station. You know, if wrestling's on it and it's going to get big ratings, that makes it a lot more valuable for it to be part of your distribution package and for you to make sure those rights are renewed. Versus, you know, if it's if it's just the Velocity channel again, then who cares? So, And, and there's a question uh, much later, but he didn't give a very long answer to it. Um, and then the person asking wasn't sure what he was referencing. But uh, do you think if they, if they go to Fox or the prospect of WWE – Raw and SmackDown or just Raw or whatever it is, ending up on Fox, does that mean Fox has to buy WWE? Yeah. And and he basically – at the very end, somebody in the crowd basically said – you said something about, you know, would you change being a public company? At, there was a little back and forth about what exactly did it mean. And then basically uh, George said Vince gave the context of the media consolidations, a.k.a. Uh, what was happening with UFC. Uh, someone asked him, would you consider that? And his answer was, we're open for business. And that was really what he said. Then uh, George added to this, paraphrasing what I imagine he's trying to say Vince has said to him, which is, we're creative people in both storytelling as well as business. All we care about is entertaining our fans and doing that in the best way possible. And we're always looking for creative ideas. Um, I I hope hope Vince has told George something more substantive than that about his real feelings about selling the company and – whether or not he wants to part with having all those shares in the family. Well, I mean, and George and Michelle just got announced as co-presidents. So in some ways they are able to speak to these things with greater authority than they ever did before. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very powerful title to have. And so it does mean a lot for George to say it. Um, I think in the past I used to always be like, well, that's what the CFO is saying, but the CEO is his own person. But, you know, he, he is a powerful executive officer at this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think – to me, I always read it much more as the ABC acquisition, to be really honest. I never saw it as they would go be part of the Fox family. Um, in some ways, you could argue Fox is a much better mix for them, much much better fit for them. 
both from the the standpoint of kind of the political leanings of Vince McMahon uh, to the, uh, you know, the outrageousness of WWE and to the longer history, of course, because uh, they did work with Fox in the past. Uh, there was even a couple of the, you know, after Saturday Night Main Event went away, I think it was the main event or something. Yeah. Um, the, the last in the early Saturday 90s. Night events were on, yeah. were on Fox after they left NBC. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they've worked with Fox in the past and, and that Fox versus this Fox, it's a different generation. You know, Fox is a normal broadcast network now. As I think it was Semper VV or someone was talking about it one time saying how, you know, things have really changed from the Fox of the early 90s where it's considered this upstart. And, you know, now it's a very mainstream thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Vince McMahon has said on a, on a conference call is when this question has been brought up, he, he said that, I don't know, you lose a lot of control. Yep. And I and I, I don't want to get into like a will WWE sell topic here, but like there there's a number of ways it could go. It could because Vince McMahon could still own something like ten percent of the of shares, but still maintain fifty percent of the uh, the voting power. Not exactly that, but something like that. He, he could have a, a small uh, stake of Class B shares that would still allow him to have fifty one percent of voting power. Um, but but you get in. I mean, I would have to have a, a accountant or an investor on here to really kind of get into the what what are we talking about not being a a public company anymore, and then getting into the idea of saying, well, how do you pay your your um, executives and send them? Because you know, right now, why, what they're why would using they not very public, much public company is Fox not a public company? Uh, I don't know. Is Fox a public company? Twentieth uh, Century Fox or. I get confused sometimes. It is a public company. Okay. So there you go then. It's owned by Fox Entertainment Group. Fox Entertainment Group is a parent company of 21st Century Fox. 21st Century Fox is, of course, traded as FOXA and FOX. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yes. So so why would WWE end up going private as a result? I was just thinking of it more like a – I was just trying to think of a scenario where they're not with Fox, but with someone else and they're going private. Mm. You know, that's always a possibility, too, that they just become a part of a larger company. Or if you're part of that larger company, the stock value of that company is not as dependent on WWE. Mm. Maybe put it that way, where right now so much of it is they're they're getting these executives and they're paying them using kind of the stock value as as a lure mm. to to keep them involved with the company and you could say it would be very different if they're part of a much larger thing because you know as we've seen with disney or other people the winds of change aren't always driven by the core parts of the fundamental portfolio that you expect it to be you know whether it's the theme parks or whether it's the marvel movies or whether it's the action figures you know it it changes over time star wars etc so wcw and time warner and ring of honor sinclair yeah yeah and so that's so i just mean right now too i guess yeah, to a degree, for sure. I mean, that that uh, that relationship is always a little bit more, you know, that's a good example of a semi-private company, I think, that owns New Japan. I don't think it's a publicly traded company. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't think it's public. Otherwise, we would probably be, otherwise, we would probably be uh, sifting through Japanese uh, SEC filings <laughs> right now. Well, it wouldn't be the Japanese SEC, but yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, just getting back to kind of the, the core idea here is, would Vince sell? I think Vince... Once he heard that $4 billion was on the table for UFC, Vince said maybe. And the fact that he's doing the XFL says to me maybe in a way that, that in the past I would have always said no because Vince is getting older. And it, it's it's kind of clear that in a certain way he does want to make his legacy bigger than wrestling. Yeah. I think he does. Um, yeah. Um. So would he sell? Maybe. I don't think that's coming out of this transition right now. 
I I I agree with someone like Lagana, Lagana, who said you know lasagna. he said <laughs> lasagna. No, who said he thought you know more of a Disney type thing where it's it's a cog in the wheel or Universal. You know, one of those where it could go team with a theme park and team with all these other kind of media conglomerate elements, and it would be much better structured in that way. Okay. So you don't think TV rights to Fox means sell the company to Fox? Absolutely not. No, no, no. I, I, they're, they're, they're doing far too well on their own right now to want to sell the company to Fox. Mm-hmm. Is what I would put it as. It's just unless you have those billionaires out there that really are going to be – because honestly, I do think it would be more of another billionaire trying to buy the company more than it would even – or a super established conglomerate with a positive reputation. I think that's the other key to it is that, is that you get – Describing Dis- Fox? I think Disney would be a better example of, you know, being able to say we, we're, you know, this wholesome family company in some ways. You know, that's why it was so strange when they owned Miramax or the Weinstein uh, portfolio for a while there is because it was harder for them to kind of justify how the same company had both of those sides. But uh, I I just think of it as if you want to bathe yourself or, or cloak yourself in another company, you want to make sure it's going to give you a, a much more positive image mm-hmm. is what I would take it as. Is You can get much better ad rates if it's Disney Presents Wrestling is what I'm trying to say. Does Disney – here we go. But like, does Disney want to be associated with something that's got an inherent violence to it though, like pro wrestling? Who knows? And maybe Fox would be a better fix, uh, fit, fit. I don't. Know. I think they would, but again, I don't. I think at that point, you're you're getting billions and billions and billions of dollars, and here we're talking about one tenth that price just to get the TV rights, and you're getting you know half the halo effect. So unless you have a long term strategy where you've got you know uh, a, a proven ability to absorb those kind of portfolios and do things, then. I just don't see someone wanting to to go that deep because I think there would be so many naysayers and questioners that you'd really want to have a strategy on the table that looks great. And my feeling from Vince McMahon is that he doesn't want to part with this company. He wants to pass it on to the next generation. And I think think that means ownership too, uh, or at least controlling interest. Uh, Oh, I think so for sure. The fact that no one else gets Class B shares. You know, the fact that even George and Michelle can be elevated to co-president, but at no point do I say, OK, they're going to be here in 10 years because I don't know if they will because we've seen so many. We've seen Donna Goldsmith and other people rose, rise through the ranks and disappear, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't following W business like you were at that time. But I, I feel that there's a, a real strong uh, reliance on George Berrios. I think we've talked about that before, but yeah. Yeah, which I which, think, um, which which I guess tells me that this guy's gonna be gonna be around for a long time, and uh, I feel that there's a lot of delegating Vince is doing to George. And I think George is, you know, in some ways too. George is just doing stuff that wasn't done before. Yeah. We didn't have people going to investor conferences left and right and talking in the past world. That was a new thing that George decided to get into heavily. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, he has taken on new responsibilities. And as a strategy officer, he's kind of tried to basically sell himself to Wall Street. I think he very much saw WWE as being undervalued by Wall Street all the time as a joke, as a punching bag. And so he wanted to change that perception. Right. And I think they have made some progress towards changing. Enormous progress. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, and but like I said, I think a lot of that, the progress that they've had to make has been progress that they're having to make back of their own doing. But but nonetheless, they've, they've done a good job. The hero in all of us, and the, and, uh, and I yeah. think George has done a good job of understanding new media, 
kind of making a good forecast of where new media is going and, and pushing WWE in a, in a direction that's beneficial to it. Um, and, and think, too, about what's the value of owning a company like that. Well, part of it is, is why, why does um, – who owns Bellator? Is that Universal? Spike, Viacom. Spike. Viacom, sorry, Viacom owns it. So why do they own Bellator? Well, what is it they don't want to do with Bellator? It's pay exorbitant TV rights Mm -hmm. time and time again. Mm -hmm. And so for Bellator, you could argue maybe it was worth it, maybe it's not. But one of the arguments for why someone, quote unquote, buys WWE is that they don't want to pay exorbitant TV rights or they at least want to be on the beneficiary of those exorbitant TV rights in 10 years from now, you know, to the point where you, you could produce the show and sell it to somebody else and get all that money from somebody else to do it. But um, I, I just don't think – I think WWE is unfortunately playing in such a low stratosphere. It doesn't make them that attractive. You know, if UFC really could get $400 million for TV rights, then it's very attractive to try to own that property so that you're, you're receiving that. Mm-hmm. The problem is they kind of promised everybody that, and the reality is they probably are best going to get 250 275 something more like that. And WWE, similarly – 250 sounds like a lot to WWE, but in the grand scheme of things for the value of the company, that's nothing. You know, that's less than one-tenth of what the uh, selling price would have to be. The selling price probably went 5% of the selling price, right? Because mm-hmm. they would try to get 4 to $5 billion, I, I would guess, unless it was some kind of in-kind contribution thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, okay, great. What if I'm stuck paying $300 million to WWE in five years? I'm probably okay with that better than if I'm, you know, afraid that something's going to go $400 million, $800 million, $1.2 billion, the way some of these other sports rights have gone up. Yeah. And I guess so it's just, you think it's just not well. accelerating in my mind at a rate that is going to make people terrified that, oh, my God, I got to buy in now and own this company because it's going to be too expensive in a few years because there's always the chance that the bubble's going to just burst and it's going to collapse. Right, and you, they're going to sit got, at two fifty for the next decade. You have to buy the monomyth that WWE, that uh, you know, people coming to the ring and fighting each other, uh, which has been popular throughout the twentieth century, is going to continue to be popular throughout the twenty first century. You know, and the monomyth that that basically the way media markets have developed for monetization rights are going to continue into other areas with heavy populations. And so that will make the money in China and India because there'll be a lot of money there because there's so many eyeballs. And we don't know if that's true because we have seen other developed markets get lots of people, get technology, and then piracy goes through the roof. Or they they jump the media cycle in terms of what they want to spend it on. And so Latin America or Nordic countries have developed very differently than the United States in some ways. So – you know, it's it sometimes you were applying the U.S. model to everybody else and just assuming, hey, it's going to be like that. And it's, it's like Scandinavian countries. Has there been more piracy there? Actually, the opposite. I, I believe originally the, Nordic com- co- originally the Nordic com- countries were like the highest for subscription rates for things like Netflix or Spotify. And the Latin American countries were some of the lowest. Mm-hmm. And yet. While, yes, there's always going to be difference in the technology investment in every these places, but it's just that idea of saying it's the U.S. is not Brazil, is not the Nordics. And so pretending India and the U.S. were, were paralleling them sometimes, I feel like is is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't know. So, I, I think that's – It's the same way that you know Africa basically jumped over the broadband uh, uh, development phase because they went right to mobile yeah. because – there was so little investment in broadband. And so it's like things are going to change in, in the way that they distribute they distribute content, the way they consume content, the way they pay for things. You know, it's totally different. And so it's just – to me, it's just one of those things where 
some of this is built on this idea that India is just going to keep growing and get become this economic powerhouse. And because WWE has got a good foothold there, it's going to work out. And I do feel like that's there's a big question mark there because UK remains the number two market for WWE. And I I still feel like in five or seven years from now, UK might still be the better play. Because India could grow its economy, but also not take as much of an interest in buying tickets and in buying WWE network subscriptions at nine ninety nine. Or whatever it's going to cost, and and maybe you know even George even admits it at one point. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember whether it was this speech. I think it was last month's speech, where or last week's speech, where he basically admitted that they use a 52 week number for their season to compare to like cricket's 13 week season or whatever, mm-hmm. so that they can get their numbers in the same stratosphere. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like in some of these marketplaces, they've done a good job of being popular, but they're not truly um, nationwide. You know, there's a big difference between being football and being hockey in in the United States in terms of popularity and understanding and just general acceptance. Uh, and so I think it's it's a little bit like that. Where they, and this goes to the next question that was on here where he said, any thoughts of the digital players coming in for some of these rights and actually competing for those rights? How do you think about licensing television rights to a digital player? And um, George said, are they active and in the market? Well, Amazon has secured rights for live content, primarily tennis in the UK. Um that was interesting to me that he mentioned that because you remember what Will said about that. What did he say about that? Well, Will just kind of talked about it. And again, if you haven't listened to the Will Cooling interview that we did on WrestleMomics Radio, we've been getting a lot of kudos for that one. Uh, just people really enjoying that insight. But Will was just basically saying that Amazon bought the very lowest tier that they could of tennis rights. And they bought it specifically around kind of a, a very certain holiday that was kind of built around that. And the idea being, you know, you're going to do like a July 4th type picnic. And so Amazon is going to try to sell you all this other stuff and then make it a come and watch this event with us. And it's a very high, you know, tennis, tennis fans. If you look at like those sporting news things, it seems like tennis fans are, are, are up there with golf fans. There's some of the highest demographics for ad rates, things like that. Right. So, you know, it's I, I just think comparing a, a small tennis bid in the U.K., that they did for a very strategic purpose by Amazon, a company that sometimes burns money for the purposes of just kind of trying things out is very different than getting in bed with WWE right. with a customer base or viewership base that doesn't have as much spending power. Yeah. And then he says, everyone knows that Facebook did bid aggressively for the digital rights of the IPL, which is cricket in India. And yeah, they did. But again, that's cricket. That's like bidding for, you know, the biggest thing you can. And I don't think Facebook just wants to be getting the number three property or the number four property. I think, you know, there's a value in owning cricket in India that is totally different than the value of owning WWE because one of them is an established national thing that is a big deal. And the other is something you're trying to establish as a big deal. Yeah, I, I think people – Because one, one, one is going to draw be a magnet. IPL things on Facebook is going to make Indians want to si- sign up for Facebook or deal with it versus – WWE on Facebook doesn't necessarily make a Indian fan say, oh, I'm going to go get Facebook or I'm going to go involve myself with them. Yeah, you need something that's mega popular or an aggregate of things that are an aggregate mega popular, right? Yeah. So I just I just think it sounds good to people. But if you put it in more larger cultural context, a lot of times we're not talking about apples to apples comparisons. And that's fine. You know, digital players are only sticking their toe in the water. 
And it's tough because they are getting more active. And, and just like George said, they would get more active. And he talks a lot about, you know, the Mixed Match Challenge and how they're very happy and they're trying to get time per video up and all that sort of thing. But um, and they called that and that, you know, the idea that Facebook called WWE to say, let's do something. I do think it's funny that he keeps saying we don't have a lot of benchmarks to compare it against. And I keep thinking there are other shows on Facebook watch where that we know what the benchmarks are. So yeah. I wouldn't say that there's nothing to compare it against. But the, um, the engagement was very different, though. Like their engagement's very high, despite uh, yeah. viewership that's much lower than other programs uh, that have been on Facebook watch. But I think one of the things that he says here and, and I well, I think with mixed match challenges, it's a a test for facebook to see well how valuable would it be if we had something like wwe uh on facebook watch um and i think one of the things that uh, that barrio says is that there you know there's this lean back and a uh, lean forward type of viewing where like if you're watching do, do you follow what he means by that yeah if you if you if you uh watch if you're watching something on on the couch on your tv you're leaning back and watching it if you're leaning forward and watching a youtube video or a short facebook video you're leaning forward and like I think what Facebook watches, it's it's longer programming that you that they want you to lean back for. And I don't think that consumers. Yeah, and are it's there the idea yet. of kind of. I don't think the consumers are there yet as far as um, being willing to lean back and watch things like Facebook, a long program on Facebook Watch. But one of the things Barrio says, and I think I agree with him, is that it's it's going to happen eventually. It's not going to happen yet. It's not happening yet, but it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, it, it will change. And I think it's also the difference between kind of active um, coordination or active where you, you're making selections like the way on YouTube. I'm going to watch this video. I'm going to watch this video. And yes, there's autoplay, but usually you're searching for something. You're you're finding it versus television. You're turning it on and you'll find the program you want, but then you're watching it. You're just engaging with it. And also lean back and forward is very also about the time length, right? Right. Is it 10 minutes or is it 20 plus? Right. You know, there seems to be that kind of the cut there. Uh, he says, as a rights I holder, think, how do you think, think about one of the things that, that's going to hold it up and is going to resolve it is just like how making it more seamless to put it, put it from mobile device to TV. And I think, oh, yeah. I yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree that the, um, the technology gap needs to be bridged and the um, the generation gap needs to be bridged, which is while younger fans have no problem treating tablets and phones as purveyors of long form media. Mm -hmm. You know, I watch a movie on my phone. I watch a movie on my thing. Older people struggle with that much more. Mm -hmm. And so it, there is that, that very much that element. And I don't think the solution is, well, let's worry about the young people that will be around, you know, CBS all access is, is probably doing a lot better than people thought it would, even though it applies to a very old demographic <laughs> people that like CBS programming. When my parents were here, uh, last week we watched lots of it. <laughs> they loved they loved the fact they could get all this stuff on 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 demand through their thing, and it just kind of spoke to me to say, you know, there's such a large demographic pool of people that can spend money, or are willing to spend money, or interested in it, and you just have to be able to present them that this is something I can give to you. He says, as a rights holder, how do you think about these platforms? And um, our view is it will come. People will watch long-form video on there. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. The behavior is already changing. And if I said – if I changed this quote from George Barrios to Brandon Howard Thurston III, I think it would also uh, work. Um, if you build, I, I was, they will come. <laughs> I was fascinated by this next line though that I highlighted in yellow. Do, do you want to read that? We tested Raw and SmackDown viewership on YouTube, full episodes – in certain parts of the world, so we can see it. I don't know what the it is he's referring to, but we did that because we wanted to see the behavior. They so wanted I'm to see 
so it sounds like they, in certain geographical regions of the world, they allowed people to watch full episodes of Raw and SmackDown through YouTube just to see like how long they would watch or what what the what this I don't know what the viewership uh, behavior was like, right? And and you could argue that maybe it was to say, is there a, a play in any of these places where we would go to a right. um, a country and just say, hey, if you live in uh, Thailand, instead of it going on a broadcaster, yeah. you can watch it through YouTube and we'll just get the money through that. Or if you live in um, Brazil yeah. or something like that, like like I'm, I'm trying to think of marketplaces that have enough of a development, but they're not tier one marketplaces for WWE. Well, there were some I don't think places like was it the Philippines where they were they they're having trouble getting their rights fees, right? Yeah, it was the Thailand was one of them where Thailand. literally CTH signed an agreement with them and never paid them. Right. Um, it also sort of happened in the Philippines a time ago where I think it was Astro um, might have done that where they didn't pay pay like they were supposed to. Um, and it's happened a number of times. You know, I could see this happening in – actually, I take it back. Probably not South Africa. But there, there's other marketplaces I could see where they might you know, play with this where they would say, how can we get that engagement up a little bit more and at the same time not necessarily be dealing with a TV network for the rights. And then, um, then you know if you go to, to YouTube, this would be like a YouTube deal in, in this scenario, right? Like say, well, our, our, our TV partner over here isn't, you know, isn't being very reliable with the, with the rights fees. Why don't we just make a deal with YouTube to uh, to broadcast Raw and SmackDown in that country only? And- well, and or or even to say, you know, they they want to air it at two a.m. on this time. You know, they don't want to give us a, the right a good platform for people to engage with this and watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it would be fascinating to see what they do. But I I just thought that was intriguing. So if you know, if anyone knows what country of the world they were testing this, I would love to know more about that. Because you think they would would advertise it if they they want people to watch, right? You, they, you think that's what I'm so. It. That's what I'm so fascinated about to say. Can we figure out what this even means? You know. Um, yeah, like, like, how did they, did they just kind of secretly put it up there? Did they really put it up there? Anyhow, so, um, I don't know if you can hear my doorbell. Is that what that is? Yes. Also, uh, ambient noises here today. Yeah, we are, we are struggling with, a uh, reality, but no, I, I, my wife's got the door. Okay. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting and I thought that was kind of a good, um, example of something that, um, I had not heard them really talk a lot about, but this is an intriguing kind of like little snippet, which I could see putting into a wrestling news article or something and be like, did you know that they're doing this in certain parts of the world and what it might mean? And I think it goes towards the bigger narrative. We we're talking about what is his narrative at the Business Partner Summit? It's going to be about direct, direct, direct. We have moved ourselves to become a direct company. We are direct to consumer. We are able to you know, see the behavior from people, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So – and then he said, uh, I was looking at the over-the-top growth numbers you put out. And then George immediately goes, over-the-top is so 2013. Yeah, I caught that. So yeah, he doesn't like calling that. it OTT. Yeah, apparently OTT is a, a you know, S-Fod. at some point, yeah, SVOD or whatever it is. So he he's he, I, I, I do feel like that's the WWE-ism that Berrios was either able to uh, adopt or already had within him his, his self-correction on certain terminologies over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he, so he, cl- said, he clearly knows. Like I, I, I caught him. He, he said wrestling at one point, but clearly he knows. He's got to say superstars and things like that. And sports entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He said direct to consumer. You're about one and a half million subs. Looking at the number you put out, looks like growth has slowed. Do you see? 
think there's room to accelerate it? Why, given the popularity of your content, why isn't this growing faster? Some media cop companies have over-the-top services, and they have more subscribers. And I was like, wham! Uh, uh, this guy, I like him. <laughs> I, I like the fact that he asked you know, some of these harder questions to be like, wait a second. It does not jive with some of your narrative that you're this popular all over the place, and yet you release a digital premium service, and it, it slows down to a trickle year over year. And he basically says, well, we're tiering the content. Our direct-to-consumer is not for every person out there. May not be for the new WWE fan or even the casual fan. They already get a lot of that content now. They get Raw and SmackDown for five hours a week, and we do 600 hours for the digital platform. So they get that content. So really, the direct-to-consumer is for the portion of the fan base who is super passionate. Having said that, in three, in four years in, we thought we could get to three to four million. Four years in, we're halfway there to three million. We feel great. It's the second largest business we have, second most profitable. It's the hub of the direct consumer strategy. That's where we engage. It's where the most time is spent. Um, I feel like this I, is all along euphemism for we didn't completely understand how this uh, business was going to work and completely understand how our market was going to take to it. But uh, but, I, it, it, but here's what troubles me is the idea that what's on the network is not for all the consumers because it seems so weird to me that you would be like wrestling is enough for you to watch the first two thirds of every episode and then just tune out wrestling is enough for me to you know I, I feel like it would be like a book where half the book is missing the WWE network is no when you don't have the WWE network mm-hmm and I guess the argument is it, you can get it all through digital. You can get it all without needing a cable subscription or anything else because you can just watch it all. But it just feels weird to me that their strategy is almost like we would rather sell 10-minute mini-movies on YouTube than we would actually making a movie and putting it in the theaters and telling a story that way. Because it's strange to me that the idea that the culmination of the storylines and, and kind of the best wrestling product and you know the most exciting elements of, of what wrestling is – is in fact just thought of something that's only for super passionate fans. Yeah, yeah, that that is the way he's characterizing it, isn't it? He uses the term playoffs to uh, to uh, describe the W Network and describe the pay per views, and he uses regular season to talk about Raw and SmackDown. Um, yeah, I just think from a storytelling aspect, that's so weird to me because that really does feel like you're only telling a third of the story, and especially because we know TV is designed in such a way to sometimes not tell the full story. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem like the best way to, to sell it when you, when you think about it, isn't it? Like, I know he's got this super serve idea in his head about, well, the, you know, the WK Turner and the Mayhem Classic, Cru- Cruiserweight Classic, and our, our super fans who are super serving. But uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like that goes to the heart of not understanding what is a wrestling product that you're trying to sell to people. Right. You know, I, I just feel like that goes to the idea of saying the, we're the taking the data. Yeah, the paper we're interpreting are, are more data, than... but we're not interpreting results yeah. or, or or mission. We don't have a mission. Maybe, maybe it's it's not it's not right to think of the the pay per views as super serving, you know, because the pay per views are for are for people who watch Raw and SmackDown, and and then can get the payoff of all that stuff that they watched, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I it's just that that's what my fundamentally struggle with sometimes is. I always think of like the pay per views. You should you. Everything should be making you want to get this more stuff and it should be driving you towards that. And instead, his attitude seems to be you get enough and you don't need this other thing. But if you want it, we are here for you and we're ready to deliver it. 
and the group is, is segmented such. And I'd say it's the opposite, right? Because the playoffs are usually when people are oftentimes tuning in more because right. they're more excited. I was just going to say that the playoffs usually do better viewership than regular season games. I would think. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I just find that to be a really strange analogy. And the same part where, you know, they really pretend that they're not putting the same thing on the same platforms when all the time on Twitter you can get spoilers for Raw and SmackDown constantly. And even on the pay-per-view stuff, you can see a lot of it. And the idea that someone cares more about the digital platform stuff, which sometimes in my mind is the weakest of the the portfolio, you know, the interviews or the the, the let's play dodgeball uh, segments, which are great. But you know what? That's really not a core thing you're delivering. But they do, do deliver Raw and SmackDown clips every week. I guess so. It's just so confusing to me. So I, I, I would challenge somewhat with the idea that maybe in, in a certain way they're forgetting their mission and they're allowing their data to kind of drive what they're saying their results are rather than being like our mission should be to do blank. And in this case, be like our mission should be to get everybody to want to watch WrestleMania because it's going to be the best show. Yeah. And I, I almost like when we, when we think about it like that. I think he's again. He's talking about super serving, which he didn't really talk too much about here, right? But but he still talks about it of late. And like, there's a super serve world of people who want all all that off brand stuff that they did. Like you know, NXT is included in that, and and Mayon Classic, WUK, and Cruiserweight Classic. Whenever they do similar to that in the future, but then so that's that's the super serve area. I feel those are like here's here's these fans who are willing to engage in personalities that aren't already on Raw and SmackDown. But then there's this, you know, by the pay-per-view audience that's, that should be derived from people who are just watching, at least and anybody who's watching Raw and SmackDown, Super Serve or not. So when you think about it like that, it, it almost makes sense to think about putting pay-per-views on a separate tier from that Super Serve stuff. Mm, and that goes to what he said his opportunities were with this. He said there's two big opportunities. One was localization. But I just want to finish that thought real quick. But, but, but I, the I second think, was tiering. Yeah, tiering. but I don't think it makes sense to – I guess maybe put all that stuff on a, on a plus 90 on – on a tier that's more than 99, $9.99 and then you keep the pay-per-views on the nine ninety nine tier because I don't think you can – charge people more for the pay-per-views than you already are without customer appeal. But anyway, go on, go on. You know, I think historically we've always shown that when you raise the price of this stuff, you still end up make, generating more revenue in the end because as long as you're you're keeping the marketplace similar, people are usually willing to pay more for it and you might lose some customers, but in general the super surf fans are just more interested in paying money for it and as far as I can tell uh, the price demand curve is, you know, they're way underserving their ability to to get money out of this unit of people. You know, when uh, when George Barrios was on Mad Money with Jim Cramer, he was uh, not not talking about WWE at all. It was because I watched that whole show and he, George Barrios was on for like five minutes, right? But at some point in the show, he was talking about Spotify and saying that you know if because Spotify's going to do an IPO or something, and uh, he said that you know if if, if there's a, a subscription service out there that that charges you X amount of dollars and you would be comfortable, you know, paying more for that service. Like you, if they're charging you nine ninety nine now, but you're willing to pay more and you're not going to be too upset about it. You should probably invest in that company. And, uh, I guess that applies to WWE as well, right? Like they could charge way more than nine ninety nine for their service right now. The company's doing all right. Uh, 
maybe that's a, that's a signal among other signals that may may say yay or nay, but that maybe that's a signal that you know W is a good investment because they have a subscription service that's sustainable, not necessarily better than the pay per view model that they had before. But it's uh, it's doing all right. It's it's, it's sustainable. Exactly, and that's that's why I think it's the doom and gloom narrative for WWE, which I maybe people accuse me of, but I don't believe. They they have so many opportunities to be profitable, and they haven't even exploited all of them yet. And I agree with you that that does make a strong argument that WWE is profitable. Now, if you use kind of the larger capital thing to say, okay. WWE, when is it worth investing in them in exchange for I could invest that dollar in somebody else? Right. So is that, Amazon a better investor yeah. than WWE? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like I, I don't disagree that WWE has potential to grow bigger. And the one thing we've discovered is that their profit margin is abysmal compared to a company of their revenue size. So that that says to me that they are vastly – you know, they're generating a lot of revenue to just immediately spend it. And that's why they need to be very careful about making sure that they grow the profitable streams that they have or they need to leverage their cost base correctly to make other things more profitable. And that's why I'm so hard on them on something like WWE Studios because I think it's a waste of their money and resources. Now, I think Barrios would say that well, some of that profit that they're not making is they're, they're buying in, in effect by – they're getting data. I would have – a year ago, I would have given them that. This year, I would say their abysmal returns on uh, growing the, the subscription rates year over year to me doesn't justify dragging your feet as much. Now, if you want to say it's just because we, we, we don't want to make a big change before we do the net, the new domestic TV deal, all right. But still, I, I feel like they, they've been a year behind where they need to be a lot of the time here. And they should be tearing now. I'm saying that their subgrowth for the year, for a year where they're telling us about how good they were at data acquisition and learning from all this stuff, yeah. it's not a very impressive story yet. Mm. And I think, yes, you can argue I'm learning a lot, but I think they should be making a little bit more of a, you know, I've been, we've been talking about tiering for almost two years now. Yeah. And, and uh, the nine, nine, we've been talking about 999 being too low since day one. Yeah. yeah. The, the original numbers that they had out there was twelve ninety nine to seventeen ninety nine. Nine ninety nine was never even mentioned. And even Netflix has gone off nine ninety nine. I wonder if the part of the nine ninety nine strategy that, you know, we all we all look at on its face and say that that's too much. I wonder if it's like you gotta get everybody get everybody in on the bus at this really low price and then get them addicted to it and then slowly raise the price. It's kinda like I don't know, I was watching like YouTube last night and uh, they're playing me more and more commercials that they didn't play me as, as frequently before. And I feel like part of it is like, okay, you get, get these people into this behavior that has really low friction, a low price, low cost, whether that's a cost of time or of money, uh, and then get, get them habitually to, to do this behavior and then, and then slowly monetize it more and more, which means adding more and more mm-hmm. friction, like putting more and more ads in there. But I would also argue that something like what Netflix is teaching us right now is the better model is not necessarily let's incrementally improve this by 5% every week. Sometimes it's let's slam you. Let's give you a ton of new series. Let's give you a ton of new content. Let's give you a lot of new options. And I, I feel like I feel like WWE is been dragging its feet on trying to make a big decision on this because in some ways – they, they're they're so they, I've said it before that they, they don't have a centralized leadership structure around what to do with WWE Network and what it means to them. 
you know, the mission of WWE Network is funny because they seem to define it now by user behavior, not by the mission that they're giving. Their user behavior is we want to super serve our most passionate fans. But the reality is that's not what they developed it for. And it doesn't have to be what it is. Right. So I, I just think it's very strange. Yeah, so, I, I think so, there's been some changes and there's, there's been a lot of morphing to George Barrios's understanding of the wrestling business, which I think is yes. interesting to watch. Yeah. And, you know, hey, sounds like we're finally, you know, for years and years it was when will AAA uh, start touring North America again? Because that was like every year they told us it's coming this year and it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, WCW Thunder has been announced for, I think, eight days oh. from now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, by one of these, like, WWE Network News or something. Yeah. Um, with a very specific That's date and a launch. And, yeah, th- th- it's a site that usually knows kind of – like, they have somebody who I think, you know, talks to them from WWE. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they would put it out there unless it was true. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just laughing right now that Thunder is finally coming. I, I thought for sure Thunder wasn't going to come till they tiered, but uh, Thunder is finally here. So that would be exciting. Um the 999 thing is also interesting because he basically admits at one point that it's not good for international subs because there's FX risk as currency exchange. And 999 is a ton of money in some of these marketplaces. And, you know, it, the reality is you could sell some subs in India and it wouldn't actually be that expensive for you to service those subs at a much lower price. And at the same way, you could sell subs in the U.S. at a much higher price. And the fact is he, he never likes to admit, but hey, in the U.K., they do do localization. They do do a different price structure. Right. He made and it sound so, like it was nine ninety nine all over the world. And, as, and as it's we, not. As we found yeah, it's out not that you, in Canada. It's not that in China. It's not know. that in the U.K. I mean, yeah, those are with, big markets. When they launched in uh, in China, I did an article and we I did some research finding out, like, so what is the price all over the world? And it's, it's quite different in, in different yeah. regions. It's different in... Uh, Canada, the UK, Ireland. Uh, yeah, the Philippines, I think, was the other one, or Malaysia, one of those two. Like some, somewhere those, where they're, they're charging like ruples or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah, there's different price points all over the world. But it is one where – it's same with Mexico. You know, Mexico might deserve to have its own price point. Yeah, but then um, there's like the catch-all. If you're not one of those maybe five or six countries where they're doing a specific price point, then yeah, yeah, you're 999 USD. And, and to me, that's – it's a big opportunity to, you know, kind of break it out. And that, that again, is probably seeding a little bit of the territory because who, who makes those decisions? WWE International, the WWE Data Team, the WWE Treasurer and CFO, you know. It's like different people are touching on this idea. And you do want to have a unified kind of strategy to do that. But at the same time, I, I think some, some of the reasons that WWE is not good at moving in these environments is because it's not going to be Vince McMahon's wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time... George and them seem like they want to take over everything and then they don't want to make a decision on it for a long period of time. And so it, it is tough to kind of give it in. I like the next question where he says, does it make sense to you to try to move some of the content you have on the digital platforms into the direct to consumer? It's always a balancing act. But what Netflix has shown us is that you have to make some investment and take some pain for a while. But if you make the content exclusive and it's a rich place for the source of content, you'll grow subs. But it's hard to have your cake and eat it too. How do you think about balancing that out? And he and George said, oh, we call that the delicate balance internally. Um, and what platform do we put it on? And he says – and, and I, I liked that George said this, and I, I hope people don't misunderstand what George is saying. He said, the simplest way to think about it is we can drive significant subgrowth tomorrow by putting Raw or SmackDown on the network. It may not be the right thing to do, either for the brand or short-term monetization, but that's an extreme case to frame the question. 
And I think that's, you know, I've heard that from fans. You've probably heard that from people saying, why don't they just put it on the network? Yeah. That's the best place for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I heard somebody uh, this week say, well, why doesn't UFC just put everything on Fight Pass and then try to get a million subscribers there? And my response was, well, 200 million on Fight Pass money is not the same as 200 million on TV rights money because there's a different cost structure involved with billing and servicing and uh, uh, streaming all of those people. And so, uh, you know, WWE Network's OBDA percentage is half that of WWE TV percentage. You know, it's like a 50% margin versus like a 25 or 30% margin. Yeah. And, and, and that's important. I guess I've never thought of it this way, but like it's, there's more money in there's more money per viewer, or maybe when you consider the sheer number of viewers, there's more money per viewer in uh, keeping something on TV than there is in a 9.99 per viewer subscriber rate. At least when you yes. take into account the number of subscribers that you think you're gonna get compared well, to that's the why, number of viewers that you have. That's why traditional advertising media is still centered on this television marketplace, right? We wouldn't do it if it was complete, you know, if it was so much cheaper to advertise on the radio and you reached that many people and it was that effective, then people would just pull away from it completely. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as George wants to talk about how great digital media is doing, look at the digital media revenue numbers. It was, you know, tens of millions of dollars, right, last year? And they did about 10 million OIBDA. OIBDA and, and revenue was maybe 30 million, 30, 40, I don't know. But the the point being, we're one tenth of the way of what TV rights are at. Yeah, and so it's you know the con. I, I think it's I think this goes more to what you and I are talking about, which is that they're in some ways still treating the WWE Network as such a weird tier that instead of seeing it as a one stop shop for fans, I have to watch something on YouTube and I have to watch something on cable and I have to watch something on the network. And there is an advantage about having a one-stop shop, right? That I'm not then feeling like, oh, it's hard for me to keep up because I have to keep switching which property I use to watch this part of content. They're flipping it around and saying, yeah, but everyone wants us to put it on the network and that's just not a profitable thing for us today. Mm -hmm. And that is true or not a, not a, it would destroy their business if they did that today in a lot of ways. I, they're not structured in the way that it would make a lot of sense for them to be a Raw Smackdown only on on the WWE Network thing. That's a huge, uh, long, dark hallway, as he likes to say, uh, that they would be going into. So it was a great little speech he gave. Um, any other thoughts on it before we kind of flip gear? Um, I get, and I, I don't think this is related enough to anything else that we're going to talk about, but I think we we should uh, keep in mind when we follow the WWE that there's you know that they're playing for this is what the the business partner summit kind of is it's the WrestleMania for the business partners and WrestleMania in some way is for business partners as well but it's more ostensibly for fans but 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 anyway the point is like what, what WWE is doing with their business they have they have two I would, I would like to say they have two distinct audiences and a couple of years ago I, I was writing some articles about how Roman Reigns was being perceived and I would write things about how there's there's two different audiences in WWE there's there's the casual fans and there's the hardcore fans but and and but today it's emerging more and more to me that there's two different audiences as far as what what WWE's playing to in that there's the fans and then there's the business partners and um the, the the fans kind of get treated, and I think this is this this is part of like insulting the intelligence of the fans. The, pan, the fans get kind of treated as as the peanut gallery. There are these people here who you know 
they don't give us as much money. They're, they're the peanut gallery up there in the cheap seats, and we'll deal with them as, as we have to. But then there's the, the business partners who really pay us the money. These are the people who give us the TV rights deals and give us the licensing deals and the sponsorships, and there's the advertisers here. So, And I think you do get this. This is not saying anything new that you know, hundreds of podcasts haven't said, but you get this feeling of you know that, that the TV product is more sculpted for business partners and less sculpted and concerned with wrestling fans. Oh, and we feel this with the journalism side. You know, when you think about kind of the the which journalists they want to talk to and which ones they don't, they're not interested in talking to wrestling fan podcast, wrestling fan journalism. They're only interested in our invitation to be a guest on the show. (laughs) Disappointing. But it, but seriously, though, because yeah. they're, they're not inter- – like they would even said, we don't think it gets out of the eco – like it does us no good to put Mark Henry on your podcast because You're you'll report on it. Yeah, you'll report on it either way. Um, so it's better for us to throw him on some other thing that the person doesn't really care about. Yeah. I think that know, makes more sense in media where like, yeah, these outlets are going to co- cover – W's pay-per-view tonight regardless. But in the case of fans, I think there are fans who would be more engaged, would spend more time, would spend more money on W's business if they didn't feel so insulted by it. But I would even argue that New Japan has done an incredible growth this year and success. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they're not shunning the wrestling media and fans because those are the people that are most likely to invest or be interested in their product. Definitely. And by being, you know, more cooperative, in some ways, it doesn't make sense to me that Rolling Stone is a d- big WWE outlet, right? Yeah. Because what does Rolling Stone have to do with WWE? But I'll tell you, Wrestling Inc., well, hell, that's probably going to be a great venue for you to be connected to because that's where a bunch of wrestling fans are going. So I, I struggle sometimes because I feel like they want credibility Instead of wanting um, to actually speak to an audience that is most interested in what they're doing, yeah, I, th- I think if WB had a better relationship with the with the pure wrestling media, uh, that it, it could only. Hmm. I understand there are risks to it because, like, why? Well, why give so and so wrestling media access to to this when they're going to cover it regardless? And it just presents a risk in that. Well, maybe some bad news story will come out of it, or somebody will say the wrong thing, or whatever. And I think that that is a concern that they they should account for, but they could also foster a better relationship with with their fans and potential fans and occasional fans and lapsed fans if they fostered a better relationship with wrestling media. And and, and I blame ESPN, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I blame them because they allowed themselves to be co-opted by WWE. And once you beat ESPN at the game, it's hard to have anybody else pretend that they're going to have more clout in sports journalism. Because once you can get ESPN to basically – well, OK. So, so Sports Illustrated too then, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, I, let's be honest though. Like how often are we reading reading things on those sites that is not them parroting a corporate line? Mm-hmm. And how often are they not in fact challenging them to say things about what's truthfully happening? And yes, they will occasionally cover a steroid st- scandal or something like that. But I think that there's a middle line that can easily be done where you're saying, I'm not going to just repeat what you're saying and pretend it's all true and not challenge you on it. And at the same time, I'm going to treat you with respect and give you journalistic, journalistically appropriate reporting. And and so I just feel like it's hard to ever be a, a credible wrestling organization that they're going to want to actually deal with when they know that they can already beat the bigger organizations at their game. Uh. Can you, can you say that again? What, what do you mean? 
I, I'm just saying it's it's hard for any wrestling journalism website to ever kind of surpass the fact that they were able to get these other bigger sites to basically allow them to dictate the narrative and they schedule. Any, they, they can't – so a site like Wrestling Inc., what are you saying? <laughs> I, I, What's the comparison? I'm trying to say that ESPN? once – once ESPN basically agreed, we're just going to reprint what WWE wants to tell us. Mm-hmm. We're not going to treat it like you know there's questions to be asked. They basically said, "Well, if ESPN is going to do that, right, we win. Right. There's nothing like if ESPN was being critical of them and sending them hardballs, they would still try to answer them because they'd want that credibility from ESPN. They don't give a shit about all the other wrestling sites, mm-hmm. whether or not they're giving them credibility. Right. And so I'm saying once they won that battle, then there was really very little for them to worry about because nobody else had the ability to kind of say like, well, what if you don't agree to work with me? What's that going to do to your bottom line? Right. So I, I just see it as kind of that there was an opportunity there to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, we're going to cover you, but we're going to cover you the same way we cover the NFL or anyone else. And we're going to be both critical and honest and thought provoking and challenging and, and deep and understand that, yes, our bread is buttered with you as well. But ESPN, we make some yeah. money. But ESPN he can really, do it. really failed to do that for yeah. how, how did that happen? I guess we don't know the whole story, but like, well, part of it was when they decided oh my God, if we put wrestling stars on our television show, we can get higher ratings suddenly. Mm-hmm. And they started doing that. Some of it was just when they started to literally just parrot WWE PR stuff. Yeah. And you and think, print you think like if they had a more, if ESPN had a more serious approach to covering pro wrestling as news, that they would lose access to, to, to WWE? Or you think it would be less? No, still... no. I think that, I think they are big enough that they would make it happen where they'd start being like, okay, this is what you can get. You know, this, mm-hmm. this proves that you can push people and they, they will pay attention. They have to respond to you. It's like when the New York times wants to write about WWE, WWE wants to indulge. Even if they don't like the article, they'd rather be in the New York times than not. Yeah. Okay. One of our important sponsors here on Russellomics Radio is Keeps because, you know, hair loss is not just your dad's problem. It happens earlier in life than you think. By 35, two out of three men will start losing their hair. But hair loss is actually easy to prevent if you get started early. And that's why there's a new company. It's called Keeps, K-E-E-P-S. It's offering a simple, clinically proven, affordable way to stop hair loss. With Keeps, it's easier than ever for guys just like us to keep our hair. And, and when I look in the mirror, when I come out of the shower, when I come off a big wrestling match, I pull my head down and I look at, oh my god, my, my balding in the back, in the front, I don't know, I, th- I think I might be Chris, and, and what, what, what can I do about it if I am? Well, the good news is, Keeps is the easiest way to keep your hair, because all you have to do is you answer a few questions, you take some photos, and a licensed doctor will remotely review your information. They look at the photos that you snap on your phone, and they'll give you the right prescription all without ever having to leave your couch. So within two or three days, you'll have a three-month supply of your treatment, and it will arrive in a perfect package at your door. It is selling the only two FDA-approved hair loss products, and they're clinically proven to keep the hair that you have. It takes less than five minutes to sign up, and it's entirely online. It can cost anywhere from 10 to $35 a month, but that's like a dollar a day on average, and that's less than half. That's less than half than you'll probably pay at a pharmacy. Yeah, I've seen those prices in the pharmacy, and they're pretty high, but with Keeps, if you go to Keeps.com, Keeps.com slash W-E, and you can get a free month, a free month to just try it and see how you like it. Stop hair loss today with the easy way using Keeps. It's offering a customized treatment plans with the only FDA-approved hair loss products, and it's only about a dollar a day from the comfort of your couch. To get your first month free, 
K-E-E-P-S dot com slash W-E. That's a free month of treatment at Keeps.com slash W-E. Keeps. Hair today. Hair tomorrow. The Saudi Arabia thing, the greatest Royal Rumble, where they're going to do this 50-man rumble. And it's part of the Vision 2030 plan, which uh, if, if people are not familiar with Vision 2030, it's something that uh, uh, Crown Prince uh, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, has been – rolling out and it's it's quote a plan to reduce saudi arabia's dependence on oil diversify the economy and develop public sectors such as health education infrastructure recreation and tourism and so a lot of it is around tourism a lot of it is around projecting an image that is more positive about saudi arabia so it's things like when they have the um there's like this red sea where is that um let's see if i can find this thing where uh hmm didn't they allow, allow women to – Yeah, the Red Sea Luxury Resort Project where they were saying that they would allow women to wear bikinis in the pool area of this, you know, stuff like that. Um, but wasn't there something so, recently where like women were either allowed to drive cars or were allowed to, to – they didn't have to wear the, uh, the hijab? Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of changes there. And, and Mohammed bin Salman has been huge in that. Um, you could argue he's been uh, essentially taking – Taking power as he does that, like he removed uh, Mohammed bin uh, Naif from all his positions, and that was quite a coup, essentially. He kind of locked the guy up until the guy said that he was going to be the next heir apparent. Um, and he's been pushing reform very, very fast, and he's been pulling back on kind of funding the Sounds more like radical been, um, elements. He's been learning from the playbook of Paul Levesque, I think. I don't think he looked to Paul Levesque for any inspiration on his uh, his crown uh, Prince things. But anyway, so this is a 10-year strategic multi-platform partnership. Um, I think they mean it's a 10-year deal with WWE. Uh, I, I don't know if there's been much to kind do of... live events for 10 years in, in Saudi Arabia. That's how I read it. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it too. Is that Pro- they, they basically... bought shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or it, bought shows at least for the beginning here. Or show, bought shows and they may resell tickets or they may just presented as a the government is presenting this show for you to go to i think it's i think it's going to sell tickets um they're doing it in Jeddah, which they've done a bunch of other shows in over the years here um of course there's always been that talk even about you know uh can the women wrestle on a show like this and um people have talked about you know wrestling in these shows and then you know the the call to prayer happens and then them being very strict on the time cues so that everyone can go pray and come back um, Where and was it's, the it's, Sasha and Alexa match? That was in the UAE, right? Ah, uh, let's see. Where was the Sasha Alexa WWE match in the Middle East? Uh, uh, Abu Dhabi. Abu yeah. Dhabi, which is in. Yeah. Uh, that's UAE. Okay. You're you're very correct. Um, yeah. The UAE is like this country where. Or at least Abu Dhabi is, right? It's like this very rich city where a lot of people from all over the world move to, right? Yeah, so I mean, Saudi it's, it's, a, it's another like a city situation. that is decided to invest in that way. Now, Jeddah is a little bit different than Dubai. I mean, I mean uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, Dubai is actually probably the bigger one that's kind of crazier in general. Um, but and, and that's the other thing that I want to always emphasize to people is that UAE and Saudi Arabia are different countries. So people shouldn't be conflating them. I heard Dave do that the other day. Just kind of being like, well, UFC got a bunch of money from UAE and 
Yeah, I was just like, well, that was very different. That was about doing strategic investments in their kind of capital fund that they have that they use around the world. This is about more like what China's doing, which is they choose certain industries and then they pump a bunch of government money into it to try to build up that industry. Um, and so it, it was funny. It's going to happen on on April 27th. Um, the the Halifax show for SmackDown uh, was, on the 28th was postponed due to unforeseen circumstances. So I'm guessing that uh, a truckload of oil money is now known <laughs> as unforeseen circumstances. That's right. Because, I mean, 50 to get 50 superstars, you will need to pull guys from both brands. Um, because not only that, they've already promised a few of the names. I think Cena was promised to be on it and um, maybe Roman. Yeah, they said Cena, Triple H, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Ron Strowman, New Day, Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt, uh, Nakamura. And later they clarified, or at least in one of the things, that they're not all necessarily going to be in the Rumble. Because essentially there would be a full card. But yeah, there's just no way you can tangibly do a a very good event and still be getting guys to Canada the next day or leave. I mean, you could do like an NXT level show. You know, Samoa Joe could 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 headline some show in Canada and make it work. But uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that they might just be pulling off some other shows around that time because there's a lot of travel involved in going to that. Yeah. So I had a feeling a couple months ago when I was reading, I've been I've been following some of the stuff that um the crown prince has been doing and i remember when i heard about this vision 2030 i might have even tweeted about it where i said i wonder if wwe is going to try to get in on, on this money because they basically made it sound like that to try to quote unquote jumpstart the economy they would spend a bunch of money in a bunch of different um industries that were non-oil related and try to basically start building the idea of hey you guys should want to come to see this and you know i do think some people will probably fly in to go see the show if you're already in the middle east and you're you're wealthy enough to do that sort of thing uh, I, I don't think, you know, we're going to see people flying in from the UK and Japan and, you know, whatnot, even, you know, United States necessarily. But I do think it's a good example of setting up events in other parts of the world, say Australia, say Middle East, where you could do it. Now, getting back to the original segue to this, Saudi Arabia has a questionable human rights record. And there's a lot of other things where people have said, you know, uh, I think it was um, – wasn't it D Darren Young who was right. speaking out at one point saying, you know, I'm uncomfortable with WWE being associated with a company – with a country that represses homosexuals and, you know, makes gay people uh, – treats it as if it's a, a – against the law. And it, it – you know, and, and so there's those elements that I – those questions that still need to be asked. And uh, – that's a good example of where I would say, you know, we could be doing more in in all forms of journalism to say to WWE, hey, you announced this. This is interesting. What is your response to this? Mm -hmm. And so, I'm sure the response would be oil companies work there. Nabisco sells products there. Everybody in the world still does business with Saudi Arabia. So for you to say I am wrong to do events there is wrong and the crown prince is format you know is creating a more tolerant society and we are excited to be partnered with them and you is know really we create a more tolerant society though he is he is very strongly trying to accelerate where the country is going to go now some of the means 2017 that two transgender pakistanis were tortured to death by saudi police Oh, yeah. And and the challenge, too, is that you have an inherent police state, you have a clergy state, you have all these elements that have been built up in power over the years. 
And it's uneven, the transformation, how it's gone. Let me put it that way. And, and the Saudi one, Interior Ministry, though, said those t- reports were totally wrong and nobody was tortured. Yes. <laughs> so it's maybe there's I, I'm, killing going on, but no torture. And just so that's just my point. It's like if, if we were getting real sports coverage from realistic things, if the NFL wanted to go play games in Saudi Arabia, right? Don't you think people would be speaking out and saying, whoa, yes, yeah, let's be questioning, saying, well, you're going to do NFL in, in Saudi Arabia with yeah. the, the way they treat people? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just give that as an example of like, I think it's a neat event. I think it's cool. But I, I also don't want to ignore the fact that essentially you're going to a regime and saying, OK, I'm OK with you. Right. And, so and I, so, I will take your money. Like Sonia Deville is, 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 is openly gay, right? And so will, will she be included in this? Who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'm, I, yeah, I, I would, I would say, you know, I think they would, they would very much treat anyone who is coming into their country very well. I'll put it that way. I think for an event like this, they would treat everyone well and do everything they can to suppress any kind of negative uh, reactions coming from it. But in 2010, I think, a 27 year old Saudi man was charged with homosexuality and impersonating a police officer when he posted a comical video of himself online where he discusses popular culture, shows off his chest hair, and flirts with the cameraman. He was sentenced to a year in prison with 1,000 lashes, ordered to pay a fine of 5,000 reals, which is a little over $1,000 American. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I just bring it up as an example of I do think, you know, that's a, a a good case of where if people really wanted to say that they were going to hold people to standards that are higher than just repeating WWE PR lines, you would, you would question things like that. The Saudi government views cross-dressing and any sort of transgenderism as being prohibited under Islamic jurisprudence and therefore illegal. And, and I mean, that's the key though, is Saudi Arabia is consider itself to be a, you know, it's a source of Wahhabism, but it's, it's it's a, a country that is founded and believes that it is, that is part of the core element of them. They believe they are an Islamic company, a country. It's you know it's 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 a uh, theocracy. Yeah, in some ways it is a theo- theocracy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would love to see how they def- define what what is normal uh, male attire and, and female attire, though. Well, you know, if you you can see for sure that. Um, you know, there was a great front line that was just a two-week uh, episode, and it was all about the conflict between Iran and Saudi Arabia and how they use kind of other nation states as their area to fight out the wars of what they want to fight. So they used Afghanistan. They used Syria. They use um, uh, uh, Yemen as the places where they fight their wars against each other rather than actually fighting in their own territories all that much. Um, Iraq, actually more than even F- Afghanistan. Well, both. But yeah, just, just and so it's been fascinating just about, you know, kind of the the complete split between Shia and, and Wahhabism and everything else that's going on. So I, I this is not usually where we go in our our, uh, our podcast. Well, that oil, oil money makes you forget everything, makes everything, you know, makes you forget all your problems. Yeah. But like I say, you know, all these other countries of the companies of the world do business with these countries. So there is that okay. element. Well, I just. It's not saying it is okay or not okay. I'm just saying sometimes it's easier to pick on WWE because they're doing one event there. And you could point to another, you know, Caterpillar or something and be like, mm-hmm. they do hundreds of millions of dollars there. And we, we turn a blind eye or don't talk about what they're doing. And the U.S. So, government, the U.S. military for that matter. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So, 
Um, the Def 14A came out for WWE. And uh, actually, I should say, if you have some thoughts on this matter, feel free to tweet us, email us at WrestleNomics at gmail.com, at WrestleNomics. Um, you know, it's not just Brian and I having this conversation here. We like to have it with people. So I'm, I'm, I think there's some really educated, really smart thinkers out there that can also add to this conversation. So they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Def 14A came out. Um, proxy statement. Why do we call yeah. it a proxy statement? Does it say proxy at the, at the beginning? I think it's called a proxy statement because um, you vote. And I think it's it's considered voting by proxy because you're not actually voting. You're you're using this ballot to vote or something. Yeah, you're the English guy. So but I think that's in reference more to voting for the board of directors candidates. Yeah. Okay. so um, the Def 14A, one thing that it includes is uh, executive compensation. And so I went through a good 10 years of this thing and pulled all of the executive officers pay from all the different categories and put them in a big spreadsheet here. Mm-hmm. Um, and some years, you know, Vince McMahon is listed every year. And if you do go yourself and do this, just please keep in mind that 2006 is an eight month period. It is not a full year period. That's right. Um, that's why I left 2006 off here is because even in this file, they were using the eight month numbers and I felt like it was going to confuse people. If I showed that number, um, you'll see that different people show up at different times. You know, Frank Serpe, showed up in 2008 for one year. Kevin Dunn has shown up from 2007 all the way to 2017. Linda McMahon shows up for two years. Um, Michael J. Pavone shows up in 2010 for one year. Paul Levesque has shown up for about seven years. And then he also got his salary kind of said out loud in 2010. Uh, Same with Stephanie McMahon has had her from 2007 to 2017 shown. Um, So I I went through them all and I kind of made some graphs and I thought these would like explode on Twitter and no one gave a shit. So you you can see these graphs as part of the document. If you go to Patreon, Patreon, Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Usually I'm the one that's pouring graphs in here, but you did a great job here. Yeah. So you can see Stephanie McMahon from 2007 to 2011. She made a little over half a million dollars, sometimes, you know, 600,000, 700,000, 800,000. Uh, and then starting in 2014, which is around the time that she gets, I think, um, put on the board of directors. I'd have to check what year it was that she no, got added. She, she, Stephanie just got put on the board of directors last year with Paul. Okay. So around 2014, though, there was a, obviously a big change in uh, the way that she, she was. becomes a brand officer, right? And when, that's when she, she stops doing so much with the creative team. Yeah. And I think it's also when they kind of change around how they're doing executive compensation to be around these metrics. And so as an executive, I think she she gets paid very well for the WWE Network launch that year because she goes from seven hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars a year. And in 2014, she makes one point four six million. Two thousand fifteen, one point seven four. Two thousand sixteen, two million. Two thousand seventeen, two point two million. And that does involve her performer contract. So that also times out a little bit with her presence on television. And then none um, of this includes stock dividends, which which are probably pretty big for her and are massive for Vince. Yes, exactly. Uh, Shane McMahon, we get that in 2007, he made about 700 grand. 2008, he made about 750 grand. 2009, he made about half a million dollars. And in all those years, he would have owned large portions of B stock as well. He, he did own give him sizable dividends, which he no longer he no longer owns I don't know if, any substantial stock. I don't know if I'd say large portions. He did own some. He he owns like over a million shares. Oh, okay. Then yes, those would be large portions. <laughs> yes. So, he, and that was also while he was an officer of the company. He was kind of their new media, international, digital. You know, he did a lot of different titles at the time. Um, and then he left the company, of course. 
when he came back in 2016, Shane made 2.15 million for that year that he wrestled Undertaker, and he made two th- in 2017 he made 1.3 million, and that was for um, being on television every week and wrestling. So, so he uh, made way less this year than last year. He did, which I think speaks to because it was last year was his Undertaker match, right? Right. Yeah. So I think that speaks to. Are they just like correctly valuing that like, hey, you're a big deal when you first come back, but then it's going to taper off? Uh, I imagine he, you know, maybe it even something where if you're in a match with Undertaker and Undertaker's going to get a million for it mm-hmm. and you're also in that match, then we'll give you a million. But he wrestled AJ Styles in 2017 at WrestleMania. He did a shooting star press. I, but I think part of it, too, is I wouldn't be surprised if, if that million was also a welcome back bonus, you know? Maybe it was just a million to jump off the. But he but he jumped off the, the cage again this year again in the Kevin Owens match. See, but my point would be it was basically trying to make good of okay, you left the company. We need you. We want you to come back. We'll give yeah. you a signing bonus of a million bucks. Yeah, yeah. That's plus, great. we'll give you a main event. Plus, you're going to sell a bunch of merchandise, and then every copy of that pay per view and whatnot. Since you're one of the top acts, you'll get a percentage of that. But no, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's. Uh, it, it it's very it's weird because the original document in I think 2015 or 2016 when it was filed said he's going to make in excess of 120 thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So in a sense, you'd say okay, that 120 is that his annual pay for like just being on TV and everything else is is bonus. But it, it also just speaks to either a you get a ton of money when your name is McMahon and you're on a, a performer contract, mm-hmm. or b some of these wrestlers do make some good bank when they get up there. You know that, that saying that they make more than a million dollars a year is not absurd. Yeah. Um, but their downside, you know, I don't think Dolph Ziggler's downside is one point five million. I still don't say believe that. Yeah. I think if you're regularly appearing in main events. I think you're easily over a million. Yeah. Or if you're somebody um, who's appearing in occasional big matches like Shane McMahon. Yeah. Kevin Dunn is on here, and I think that might surprise a lot of people to know that Kevin Dunn is. The most highly paid person in Kevin the country. Kevin Dunn gets paid all years. this money for switching the camera. Everybody's furious about this every year. Yes. Kevin but, Dunn makes more money than Paul Levesque. Well, sort of. Sort he of. Do, he does, a, though. With, with a, he gets a yeah. salary of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, there's a bonus he got in 2011. There's no other years that anyone really gets bonuses. I think they kind of stopped doing bonuses, to be honest, as they talk a lot about the omnibus plan that they made in 2011 going onwards. And I think the idea was that they were going to kind of move to these more strategic objective things and get away from cash bonuses to people. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of these bonuses were also, you know, sign like contract renewal bonuses where, you know, you sign another 10 year deal or five year deal or an agreement to stay with the company. Um, he got stock awards and the stock awards are really important because some of these stock awards are worth enormous amounts of money. The amount it was in 2015 and 2016 the difference is Kevin's pay is 1.8 million, 1.9 million, 2 million, 2.5 million, 1.8 million between 2007 and 2014. Then in 2015 and 2016, it shoots to 4.8 million and 4.6 million. And this year it shot back down to 2.3 million. And the reason it was so different was all in what they call those stock awards. Yeah. So the when those stock awards hit, that can have a huge calculation difference. And when the stock is at a super high price, it's worth a lot. I was really shocked that it wasn't worth more this year, I guess. Did George and Michelle get comparable uh, stock awards in 15 and 16? Oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're, I, don't, I guess I didn't do their graphs. Yes, they also got enormous. You can see it okay. in, the, in, the, um, in here. George in 2015 
um, his stock awards were worth uh, $3 million. So, so and just to put like the, the Reddit reaction at bay, like this wasn't something special for Kevin Dunn, although no. it, it, anyway, Michelle Wilson and George Berrios got similar yes. big, big bonuses as top executives. Exactly. Um, and then I have Vince McMahon's pay. And, and what's really funny with Vince McMahon's pay is actually for a couple of years there – um, from like 2005 to 2006, he was actually kind of denying all pay whatsoever. Uh, I don't think he even took his salary back then. Uh, but, for a couple, this, of years. this guy gets twelve cents on every share, right? Exactly, per, per and that's quarter. what, and that's what you know you you kind of miss when you say, "Oh my God, Vince McMahon didn't take any pay." But yeah, 2007, Vince's pay on this statement is eight hundred and forty thousand dollars. And in fact, not until 2012 does he even get above one and a half million. In 2012, he goes up to two and a half. 2013, 1.7. 2014, 2.4. 2015, 16, 17, he's sitting at about three million and change. He gets half of it from what they call non-equity incentive plan compensation, and the other half is all salary. Um, he doesn't really get stock awards, and I think again that's a, a Vince McMahon choice. Is that there's a feeling that it would be kind of um, paying himself <laughs> to do it. Um, and so as as the head, he he doesn't seem to be taking it that way. But this non-equity incentive plan compensation, I would need someone else to explain to me exactly what that is, um, whether whether that's just all health insurance and company jet or what that means. But if you're just trying to think about, well, how much does Vince McMahon actually personally make from WWE? Uh, most of it is in his dividends. And just to do the math real quick, there's, they've been paying 12 cents per share per quarter for years now, Correct. Yeah, and in the mid 2000s they actually paid twice that amount. So he was making even more for a while. So he and you know he sold some stock in 2016 uh around the time Linda was you know getting ready to go in the cabinet or or whatever was going on there if they gave that money to Trump or whatever they did. So I think they had he had 43 million shares which would have come out to like 20 million dollars on the year. And now, now he's now I think he's down to like thirty two million. But he was he had thirty five million for most of the year two thousand seventeen. So that times twelve times four is sixteen point eight million dollars in the year. And, and not only that, that you know, if he does choose to liquidate stock like he did this year, you know, that's a hundred million he can make easily. You know, because the stock is at such a high price. Yeah. So he has all these shares that he can also sell. And if which he did. If, yeah, which he did. And so, you know, the dividend is good to have. But at the same time, if the stock is sitting at 40 bucks a share and you own that many millions of shares, then it's easy for you to make some money that way, too. So he cashed out nearly a million dollars, nearly a hundred million dollars in W stock in December, which is we understand being put towards Alpha Entertainment in the new XFL. Yep. And then the last one is Paul Levesque. Paul Levesque makes about two to four million dollars a year some years it's it's two and a half like it was in 2011 or 2013 some years it all includes his performer pay it does it it, there's there's three big buckets for him or four big buckets there's his salary there's some stock awards there's some of that non-equity incentive plan compensation and then there's a ton a biggest part of this chart is always all other compensation which is his performer contract which as we know it says in there it's a million dollars a year downside and he makes more than that every year so he and makes fact, more as a performer than he does as, as an executive yes in theory um you know again holding the stock awards and whatnot the stock value you could argue he benefits from the fact that the stock is worth more and his initiatives as an executive help him in that. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, so Paul Paul's making between three and four million. Some people thought that this was outrageous pay. I don't think this is outrageous pay at all 
for a company of that size. Um, this is not absurd executive pay. Uh, maybe people saying it was too high. Yeah, some people thought that this was just way too much to be pay these executives, and I thought, no, I, I've worked with companies that have mm-hmm. <laughs> have payments that are that are like this, and this is not absurdly high. Um, and there was even a little ratio thing at one point of this where it says what the ratio is between the CEO pay and everyone else. Did you catch that? No, that sounds familiar though. Well, it's really? a new it's a new um, thing where they have to do it to say what the CEO ratio is or something. Um, I'm just trying to find in this company's case, the CEO doesn't get paid very much directly, right? Yes, exactly. Cause they said Mr. McMahon's total compensation was $3,087,537. And the median total compensation for a median employee was 107,556. So for 2017, the ratio of annual total compensation of our chairman and CEO to the annual total compensation of the median employee was 28.7 to one. Mr. They call that the CEO pay ratio. Yeah. The, the, the CEO's Compensation though is really more like twenty million, and they also make a point here. They're talking about the eight hundred and forty individuals that work for WWE. This would not include independent contractors because this includes full time, part time, or temporary employees with a determination date. And I think what they mean by that is that this would not include the independent contractors of WWE because that doesn't that eight forty doesn't involve those people usually. They've got about that many people under contract these days, right? <laughs> Only at the performance center. But yes, I think that that's the key there. And so I'll be I couldn't say whether that number's high or low. Uh, I think that's the first year that that there's a requirement to kind of show that sort of thing. And I would have to look at other companies to say, you know, compared to Disney or compared to uh, NASCAR or um, uh, the people who do the uh, MSG networks. Or Spike TV, or you know Viacom, or any of those. What what their ratio looks like? I have no idea. Um, but but if you compared uh, percentage of revenue of the NFL players to the, the the money that the NFL brings in for revenue, it's a much higher percentage when you compare it to WWE's revenue and the percentage of revenue that the WWE wrestlers probably make. Yes, I, I've heard the number ten percent used a lot. And again, revenue keeps going up year over year, so it's hard to know whether that ten percent is even the right number. Because if you know, ten percent of seventy million and or seven hundred million, ten percent of eight hundred million, you know, I don't know whether the wrestler pay is really going up. Are NFL um, players independent contractors? How does that work? They must no, be. No. Well, but there's some well, contracts. Ah, uh, I don't know. All right, I we don't, don't know. What we're talking you're, about. You're asking, let's stick to wrestling. <laughs> yes, but what I was going to say is that I think the number for you know the NFL and those things that's closer to like forty or fifty percent. So. You know, the people talking about it saying always say wrestlers are vastly, vastly undercompensated compared to the amount of revenue that is being generated by the company that owns them. Mm-hmm. Um, There's no wrestlers association yet. Yep. So that was the Def 14A. Was there anything else there? You didn't write an article on it. I thought you were going to. I should. I was feeling a little under the weather this week, but uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll muster something up later. I hope you can catch up with it after you've mustered your strength. Me too. Hoffman Estates, Illinois. That's going to go down with like um, uh, Rosemont, Illinois of like, you know, the, these places near Chicago that aren't Chicago that everyone calls Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the all-in show is going to take place at the Sears Arena Center. So a place that TNA ran once, did about 4,500 people with. Oh, did uh, 
But All In wants to do 10,000 people there on September 1st. And it is close to Pro Wrestling Tees, which uh, if you're ever in downtown Chicago, you'll see a picture of, I think, Colt Cabana, like flexing in a Pro Wrestling T-shirt on one of their big billboards. Um, and then in The Observer, they also mentioned they're, they're looking to do something with major podcast personalities and have them do shows in Chicago that weekend to drum up interest, as well as a convention of short sorts and autograph sessions in conjunction with the event and just knowing how much colt cabana loves you know uh podcasting and whatnot i would not be surprised if you know they tried to do a like how did this get made or something there uh one of those you know those, those kind of podcasts that have like groups of fans that would 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 travel to go see a show being taped are we um, talking about wrestling podcasts or podcasts in general i'm thinking they, they're actually probably thinking just more general podcast things that are just more popular um like i say like how did this get made or uh, you know, some of the true crime podcasts that are really popular, um, more of that sort where it'd be people that also enjoy wrestling, but, you know, it would give you more to do when you're in Chicago that week. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am hoping to go to the show. Um, my buddy lives in Vernon or uh, Vernon Hills, I think it's called. So this place is only like 40 minutes away from him. So this actually would work out really well. Well, how about you? You think about going? Yeah, I think I'm going to have some people in my wrestling circle that are going to be going. And I've had uh, preliminary discussions. I say yes. If you make hotel plans, let me know. Initial negotiations, engaging for the for the. Yeah. I, I have not heard whether or not WrestleMomics Radio will be in fact commissioned to uh, perform. So yeah, we can email us at WrestleMomics at gmail dot com. We'll yeah, you can. You can offers. Uh, we will consider all offers. That is right. So you know, uh, Lavi and other people were trying to figure out what is the uh, biggest kind of non WWE, non WCW show of the last twenty five years in U.S. Canada. And uh, I, I did a bunch of I, I went to wrestlingdata.com and I just started downloading all the attendance data I could for the last, you know, I, I did hundreds of pages of this mm-hmm. and then just kind of looking at it. and, you know, the things that jumped out is number one, AAA and L.A. AAA had a really hot 93 to 95 where, you know, the, the Conan um, Sin Caras, Jake Roberts feud and the Conan Jake Roberts feud in 93 and 94 drew huge in. LA, you know, maybe 16,000, 17,000 in, in August of 93 and, and maybe 14,000 in March of 94. Uh, so they were huge. The When Worlds Collide pay-per-view in November of 94, which you could say is sort of WCW, but really it's not. It really was a AAA show. Um, and and that, I saw some people talking on Twitter, like Matt Farmer, saying that WCW and Conan, you know, interjecting, saying WCW didn't really help at all. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the AAA in L.A. in November 93 did probably 12,500. AAA in, in July of 95 probably did 8,500. AAA in uh, L.A. In, in August of 94 probably did 8,000. I mean, those those numbers are incredible today, even because of how much the industry has changed. Uh, Memphis had a – the reason this came up is Memphis just had its, its anniversary of a show called Memphis Memories – uh, that happened in March 7th, 1994 at the Mid-South Coliseum that drew 8377 for about a $32,000 gate. And that was a um, both a, a Memphis like legend show where Tommy Gilbert and Jerry Jarrett and Lance Russell and Sputnik Monroe. And Jerry Lawler Al- wrestled twice? Um, well, yes. Yes, he did. Jerry, Jerry Lawler did an elimination match. Uh, he also was part of a uh, crazy brawl with – Terry Funk and Eddie and Doug Gilbert. Um, you had Coco Beware and people on the show, but it, it was it was a um, it was a big legend show for sure, and it did quite well. So um, that was a 
uh, a big show. And then there's this other show that I found in 1998 that I've never heard anyone talk about that I'm kind of curious about. It was called WXW Sports Fest 1998. And um, it was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It was promoted by uh, Off of the Wild Samoan. And so uh, Offa, as I finally figured out why this event was so big, Offa got both Mankind, Owen Hart, D'Lo, and The Rock to show up on this event. Wow. And so, oh, this is in Allentown, right? Okay. Yeah. So it, it, the attendance that I've seen listed at 8,000, I'm not sure if it was called Bash at Cedar Beach. I'm not you know, 100% sure where it was. So if anyone knows more about this show, I, I see RF Video sells a copy of it, things like that. Um, I don't know whether that's a true number, you know, 8,000 sounds really high, but at the same time, the rock in 1998 is a pretty, he's getting hot, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good time to have both mankind and the rock and these guys coming that's, on Yeah, July 98. He's, he hasn't won the intercontinental title yet, quite yet from triple H at SummerSlam. Yeah. But wrestling's getting hot by 98. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Twice it's and, happened. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this is, this is a time when, you know, uh, Having WWF contracted stars like that on your show, it's going to make a big deal. Yeah. Um, and we don't know whether this is a fair show or something like that where, you know, you're not getting a paid attendance. But uh, that that's just a show that I've never heard anyone talking about for a big attendance. But is you know, it's in the books that way. So I'd be kind of curious. Yeah. I've been meaning I've, I've been meaning to go back to the uh, 98 observers and kind of pull up some more information about it. Yeah. Um, and then I also found that uh, AAA ran L.A. in, in 2009. And they drew about 7,500. So – uh, you know, we talk a lot about ROH and New Japan and other people, but the reality is none of them have drawn more than 6,000 people in the last 25 years yet. So it will be interesting to see if one of them can do it. Um, with the, you know, New Japan, there was a lot of talk that if they had taken a bigger building, maybe they could have. Uh, we know the the New Orleans show is going to do probably, what, a, a hair under 6,000 um, at this time? Show? The New Orleans ROH show. Um isn't that doing very well, like 4,500 or more? Yeah, I think we just, just surpassed 5,000. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying 6,000 maybe as the actual number. Maybe more, maybe not. Um, let's see here. But yeah, just just I thought that was really intriguing. So uh, just as we put it all in context, 10,000 people is a lot of people. That's going to be tough, and, and this is a, a loaded year. Um, you know, we even heard about today uh, a thing called CEO Fighting Game Championships, which is like a uh, Orlando fighting game convention is now announcing that they're also going to do a combined event with New Japan Pro Wrestling King of Sports on June 29th, 2018, which it would be a combined CEO event and a wrestling card. So uh, people like Kenny Omega are very excited because I think Kenny has – possibly participate in this event before yeah i, th- I think um, this is where we saw xavier woods and kenny omega play video games with each other last year yeah so you know there, there's obviously that element to it but uh pretty big that you know new japan would agree to do a essentially a house show in florida um some for... largo loop territory here they're invading <laughs> they're so invading. Just, this is the wrestling war you know i think it was lavi even made the point that you know the guy that's helping do a lot of the uh, uh you know joe Koff was even saying about new japan might be staying more on the west coast and so this is not the west coast by any means oh, no. so this is intriguing um and again uh let's do we see have a the venue game... here that we can look up capacity on uh i don't think they've announced it yet i i i, I think they're continuing to kind of leak Live out wrestling at the ocean center yeah so what's the ocean center uh Yep, live wrestling event on the Ocean Center. Good point. 
It is 400 feet from the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, how about that? Let's see here. Uh, I'm not seeing any capacity. I'm not getting anything good here. Ocean Center. Yeah, it, it looks like it's a um, events. Yeah, who knows? We'll, we'll get more information about this as things go on. Right? It says banquet slash ballroom, 896. I'm not sure if that's a capacity or not. Yeah, they they have an, a reference to an arena at one point, and they say the arena can seat about a thousand for banquets, but it can seat ninety three hundred total. So, I let, the arena, let's say, is ninety three hundred. Ninety three thousand seats, then, huh? Nine thousand three hundred. Ninety three thousand one hundred seventy three. Okay. No, <laughs> nine thousand three hundred. Which you know, honestly, if I was bringing New Japan to town and doing it in a building that sat sat less than a thousand, that would be foolish. So a 9,300 seat building, which, you know, that's not a bad number. Um, but it does it does raise that question of, OK, you got WrestleMania in March. You've got this in June and you've got all in coming in September. Um, right. There's only so many times you can kind of hit the marketplace and try to get them excited and get them. And you have the Long Beach show coming up, uh, too, which is in when. And I've even seen Lobby point out the, what Ring of Honor has a show upcoming. And I'm not sure where it is, when it is off the top of my head. I think there's a, there's a Ring of Honor show in Chicago. That's uh, the last time they ran in Chicago. They they sold really well and really fast. I don't know if it sold out quick or what the deal was. But, okay, they're running another show in Chicago. But it's uh, ticket sales have slowed because you've got the prospect of this Chicago show coming up in September. All yeah. In. And, and and New Japan is end of this month. I think it's the 25th of March that they're going to be yes, on Long Beach. Yes. So, you know, this is only three months later after that, which is, is not a bad amount of time. It's not like you're coming two weeks later. A lot of people thought that even coming at this time was going to stink and they did just fine filling, you know, the small arena they wanted to do. So we'll see what happens. But it's it's intriguing to me for sure um, that yeah. that it's a fighting game convention. So it's a little bit of the video game type thing, but it's New Japan. And so. It might be the perfect overlay of things. It might be something where someone's going to lose their shirt on paying that much money to try to get that new Japan talent in at that time. Yeah, we'll see. But I think I think a lot. You know, well, why is this happening? I think it's New Japan being on access is not the uh, the chief reason that this stuff is happening. I think it's happening because media is changing and it's allowing people to go beyond MVPD to discover wrestling. I agree. Follow me there. Uh, people people are discovering New Japan not just because it's on cable TV, but because I don't know people are walking around with computers in their pockets now, and there's less limits to what we can discover. The future is now. Singularity is near. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, co-host Chris Harrington, Brandon Howard, Thurston the Third. Yes. Um, we we are available at WrestleNomics at gmail.com at WrestleNomics. I'm on Twitter at Mukigana. Uh, Bren's on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. Brandon also has a training school where he trains people to be professional wrestlers. He puts up videos about it on his website, which uh, causes people to break into tears out of excitement for how good he is at explaining this to them. That's right. Uh, yeah, the puff is uh, almost in tears. Um. <laughs> we we have a Patreon patreon.com slash WrestleNomics and what we do is we talk about other wrestling stuff on that Patreon we give you graphs we give you numbers we give you access to all the data that you, Brandon and I are looking at and some bonus audio it's only $5 a month we, and we're going to review Bloodsport you don't want to miss it yeah this Bloodsport, week, Bloodsport will be related there will be a lot of wrestling related talk though I have a feeling 
it doesn't have to be. I think Bloodsport in general just makes us happy to talk about. It makes everyone happy to talk about. So we're going to talk about Bloodsport yeah. and we're going to talk about a lot of other stuff like uh, UFC rights and WCW Thunder. But Bloodsport's going to be the main draw this week. So if you want to hear that exclusive talk, it's only $5 a month to sign up for it. It means a lot to Brandon and I because uh, that money goes right in our pocket. And yeah. uh, there are times... With it and it keeps us awake. And that's pretty important. Yes, sometimes we buy protein powder and we spill it all over our VCR. Yeah. Uh, we can do a lot of things with that $5 that you give us, but we can only get it if you give it to us. And we thank all the people that are, are supporting what we do right now. And the more of those people that we have, the easier it is for us to go to the uh, all-in all in people and say, look at this incredible group of devoted followers that would like to see WrestleNomics Radio at your event right here doing a live broadcast. And uh, who knows who could be a guest star for a show like that. Absolutely. And if, and if you're losing your hair... If you're Baron Corbin out there, or if you're losing your hair like me, I think I am. I think it's getting worse by the week. Like I'm, I, I just look at the, I'm getting the M, like the letter M on my head. That's what they say. Like if you're balding, look out for the letter M. But like just these these corners of my hairline. I don't know if it's uh, because we're, we're sponsoring uh, Keeps, and I'm just thinking about it more. But like I'm just looking at my head and thinking, my God, I think I think I'm losing my hair. I think I like the way I'm like pushing my hair over. It's like, am I, am I, am I coaching myself into a comb over here? Well, you can stop hair loss today with the easy way with Keeps, offering customized treatment plan with the FDA-approved hair loss for only a dollar a day with the comfort of your couch. First month of treatment is free. Just go to keeps.com slash W-E. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash W-E. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash W-E. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow. That's right. If you're Genki Horiguchi or Baron Corbin. Go to keeps.com slash WrestleNomics. Slash W-E. Slash W-E. No, W-E. Just one W. That's what I said. That's what I said. I'm like Kurt Angle here. I'll edit this part out, but I'm like Kurt Angle here. (laughs) You know, the W-E. I don't know. W-W. Yeah. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 